Good evening, ghouls and fiends, and welcome once again to the Ministry of Horror. I'm your host, Tez. And uh, boy, howdy, what a week on the MOS Network we have had. Um, quite a few people in the chat, a few new faces for the Ministry of Horror. Welcome, one and all. Um, so first things first, Saturday, not Saturday, Sunday was a big a big, uh, a big day for the Ministry of Slam, the MOS Network. We uh, we went live exclusively on YouTube, um, Lawrence and myself. And quite frankly, I don't think it could have gone any better. Uh, wow, it was really cool. I mean, we had some great numbers live, lots of activity in the chat, and uh, the numbers since uh, the viewing numbers have been great. Uh, really good, really, really positive stuff. Um, so you know, thank you. Uh, thank you to everyone who watched live, who's watched it, you know, on repeat, hit it up on the uh, the podcast streams, really cool stuff. Um, and that was kind of a bit of a, we knew it was going to be a bit of an experiment to kind of see what the impact would be. Um, and I was kind of looking at it as, I, I want to see how it goes with the Ministry of Slam before thinking about, you know, changing around Ministry of uh, of Horror. Um, and I mean, I, I don't think I want to delay it any longer. Uh, I think from next week, from next Tuesday, the Ministry of Horror is going to follow suit for the Ministry of Slam and uh, stream exclusively on YouTube. It just kind of seemed like uh, the theory that uh, that Lawrence had was correct in regards to the software we were using, uh, throttling numbers, throttling uh, visibility for the, the Ministry of Slam. Um, so to see such a huge uptick from one week to the next, and yeah, it was a big week for uh, for wrestling news, um, but it was really positive and really kind of uh, really good to see, really kind of inspiring. So yeah, if if you're watching this on on Twitch or other platforms live currently, um, next week it's going to be YouTube. So search uh, the uh, Ministry of Slam, sorry, the MOS Network uh, on YouTube. I think our URLs uh, being updated at the moment, but. Um, but yeah, check it out. Check it out. Uh, we've got a few people that were on uh, on Sunday show. I can see um, King of Hueco Mundo, Summer of Punk coming soon. Do you know what? We probably should at some point um, look at doing a review of Girl on the Third Floor, CM Punk's uh, horror film. Uh, I've not actually watched yet, to be fair. But as I mentioned, a little bit of a preamble there. This is the Ministry of Horror. If this is your first time uh, watching live or, or listening later on the podcast. We look at horror news. We do some horror reviews. We do uh, something that's just returning tonight, which is the uh, MOH Book Club. Um, and uh, and then we have a kind of a main event discussion. So the MOH Book Club does return tonight. Our main discussion, which we'll be getting onto a little bit later on, is it's coming up to the 40th anniversary of John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, this is a hugely pivotal film in uh, in my youth, in my horror fandom. It was the second John Carpenter film after seeing Halloween. Halloween probably being the first horror film I ever saw. Um, and it still remains one of my favourites. Um, Brown the Can in the chat. Yes, Punk was in the remake of Rabid, which I have actually seen. I've not actually seen the original David Cronenberg Rabid. Uh, but yeah, Punk was in that. A small role, but um, yeah, oh, I don't know what I massively thought of the remake of Rabbit. Again, I haven't seen the original to compare it to, but it's a, it's a nice little role in it. Um, we got some chat going on about the thing. Uh, the Gruff says one of, if not my favorite, horror and another awesome Carpenter film. Um, and King of Hueco Mundo says the thing scared the uh, poop emoji 
amount of people back in the day. The theatres were always packed on this movie. Um, yeah, it's a it's a hugely popular film. It's become a cult classic because at the time, um, I think E.T. was the big alien film, and you go from having a very positive, um, affable, uh, cutesy, well, not really cutesy, but like a shriveled old woman looking alien, to what we'll be talking about later on. The uh, the audiences uh, were a bit divided, but as with a lot of Carpenter films, he found its audience uh, a bit later down the line. But yeah, we'll be getting to that a bit later on. First off, we've got a few little bits of uh, of news to get to, so let's get started. So uh, over at bloodydisgusting.com from John Squires, the overnight trailer disturbs a demon at an old hotel. Uh, I will drop the link in the chat. You can check out the trailer if you wish. Uh, Hitting theatres next month from Vertical Entertainment, the official trailer for The Overnight has made its way online, disturbing a demon that's been lying in wait for the past few decades. In The Overnight, after a romantic weekend gets sidetracked, a young couple find themselves at an outdated hotel, caught up in a murderous death loop and as bait for a demon. Uh, It comes to theatres and VOD on June the 3rd. Uh, It has uh, (laughs) stars uh, Zebedee Rowe, Rajiv Varma, Brittany Clark, James Lorenz, Justin L. Wilson, and Mathilde Dehay. Uh directed by Kevin Rhodes and Bobby Francavillo. Uh it looks pretty creepy. Looks pretty weird. Um I kind of touched on before that possession horror, which it looks like this may be in regards to a a, a dormant demon, is a tough nut to crack. Uh but when done well. It, it it can be great, but you have such a such a large number of uh, crap possession. But it's it's more it's demon centric. I'm into that. If it can, it depends what route it wants to go. If it wants to go highbrow, or if it wants to go more kind of schlocky. I mean, I love a possession horror highbrow like The Exorcist. I love it more. I love the schlocky stuff like Demons One and Two. So I'm interested. We'll see how it goes. Next up, you can tell I've not had dinner tonight because I'm just whizzing through the uh, the latest news. Um, we have... This is a video game-based news. Um, shows I should have, uh, should have had a look at it first. Uh, Dread X Collection 5 launches with a party trailer. Uh, in case you missed it, Dread XP's fifth anthology of indie horror goodness... I didn't even know they did four um, indie horror goodness uh, collections. Uh, that being Dread X Collection 5. Uh, it launches, or it launched actually last Friday and is out now on Steam. Better yet, you can grab the collection with a cool 10% discount from now until May 27th. So if you're interested, get in there now to get a sweet 10% off. Uh, continuing the storyline from Dread X Collection The Hunt, you're headed to Outpost 3000 the place every kid dreams of for their birthday. That also includes presents, which so happen to be 12 games by up-and-coming indie talents from around the world that centre around the theme of entertainment. We've dropped some info on each game in the collection here and here, but they're, they're, they're hyperlinks, which you can click on if, you want in the, if you're watching the live chat. Uh, if not, uh, this is at bloodydisgusting.com if you're catching up this later on uh, on the podcast. Um, and if you don't go in completely bind, that being said, the fun is in the discovery. Uh, the Dread X Collection series premiered in May 2020 and has since spawned four individual releases featuring a collective of curated horror shorts from some of the industry's top independent developers. Inspired by game jam events, each collection has its own them- themic 
uh, thematic uh, concept which points the featured developers in a similar direction but with full creative freedom now this sounds pretty interesting i i'm very uh, on the fence sometimes with horror games um we've discussed a number of times i'm i'm very much more of a single player tight strong narrative um in when it, when it comes to my horror games that being said i have been uh surprised with uh, the evil dead game i bought onto the hype train i have enjoyed it i haven't been able to play much this last uh, weekend but um this sounds like a, a horror anthology game and i do like a good horror anthology because when one horror short may be kind of crap you're guaranteed to find one that you like usually uh, even the the worst anthologies normally have at least one good one in there. Maybe not Creepshow Three. I think that I think it was Creepshow Three. That was kind of crap, if memory serves. But this looks kind of interesting. Um, depends really if you're into indie games. I mean, like, like with music and films, I do try and support them. Um, but it kind of depends what your preference is. If you prefer AAA, high high concept graphics, you know, it may not be for you. But um, looks interesting. Uh, in the chat around the canon, weirdest horror gaming news I've seen this week is the trailer for a Dead by Daylight dating sim game. I've heard something about Dead by Daylight. Uh, I didn't know if that was real, and I had kind of forgotten about it, uh, Fran, until you mentioned it. But um, yeah, Dead by Daylight, again, when I've played it, I've enjoyed it, but it needs something to kind of draw me back. Um, and hopefully that won't be the same for Evil Dead. Um, I do, I want to finish the missions, because the missions, you can unlock some cool stuff. The missions are pretty damn tough. Um, so I think if they can introduce checkpoints, maybe that's just because I'm so used to checkpoints, but if they can introduce that, uh, that'd be cool. Uh, Nightmare of Decay is worth a punt. $3.99 single player fun. Cool. Uh, Bruce Todd, let me know in the chat. If, is that console or is that Steam only? Um, either is fine, but I do prefer console. But um, yeah, Nightmare of Decay. Let me Let me make a note of that. Um, would help if I had some notes up because <laughs> I, I will no I know myself I will forget uh, you know pretty quickly but I've opened up a quick notepad I've saved that um, but yeah new game coming out uh, well it's just come out let's move on now this is some interesting uh, interesting I, I guess pub pub banter trivial pursuit knowledge um, Jaws actor Jonathan Sill hope I pronounced that correctly, has just become police chief on the island where the classic movie was filmed. As a young kid, Jonathan Seal appeared alongside his real-life brother in Steven Spielberg's horror classic Jaws, uh, credited as Boy Swimmer with Cardboard Fin. All these decades later, in a world twist of fate that even Hollywood's top screenwriters couldn't script, now 56-year-old Jonathan Seal has just been appointed police chief of Oak Bluffs in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, the actual island where Spielberg filmed Jaws back in the 70s. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's just that's quite funny, really, isn't it? Um, a fair play to him. Um, I mean, I wonder how many times he's going to stop people and be like, Do you, you, have you ever seen the film Jaws? Are you familiar with Steven Spielberg's film, Jaws? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was in that. Um, I mean, fair play, yeah. Uh, he he mentioned, I'm clearly elated and I'm humbled and honoured to have been offered the position, uh, Searle told the Gazette, the Vineyard Gazette, that is. Uh, it's something I've been working toward my whole career. Well, well done. Fair play. Um, 
Yeah, well, there we go. I mean, uh, there's uh, there's a bit more to the article, but really it's mainly just uh, just a Twitter snapshot. But that's from, again, bloodydisgusting.com. Uh, and, boy, woo, we are flying through the news. I mean, to be honest, there wasn't a massive amount of news uh, today. Although I w- I'll add this in. I'll add this in, even though it's something I've got no interest in. But before we get to this bit that I've added that I've got no interest in, Actually, we'll do the bit that I've got no interest in first. Fear the Walking Dead Season 7 finale trailer has washed up on the beach. The AMC spin-off Fear the Walking Dead premiered Season 7 Part 2 back in April. Now, the Season 7 finale is headed our way Sunday, June 5th. In Season 7, Episode 16, Morgan finds a new ally who turns out to be more trouble than he bargained for. The episode will begin streaming May 29th on AMC Plus if you want to catch it earlier. Okay, I'm going to pop a link in here. Now, I'm probably being a bit dismissive, a little bit too dismissive, potentially, because I've never seen Fear the Walking Dead. I might have seen the first two episodes of season one. That's the precursor, isn't it, to to Walking Dead, kind of came out after Walking Dead had been on for a while. Just the whole Walking Dead universe. I mean, if, if you're enjoying it, you're still enjoying it, great, that's awesome. Um, For me... I I loved the uh, the graphic novels. I stayed with them for quite a while. Um, and TV show, I generally did follow it. As the seasons got on and they kept getting longer, um, I started to kind of wane on my interest. And it was when Negan was introduced. And Negan's a is a great character in the books. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I've probably said this on here before, is a great actor, but. I don't know if it was the portrayal or if it was just generally the group of the saviors, but we just seem to be treading water and just rehashing the same thing over and over again. And I, I just gave up on it. Uh, it seems the sentiment across, uh, across is, you know, a lot of people have kind of lost interest. Um, yeah, the gruff in the chat. Um, I, I stopped before Rick went. I think it was around the time spoilers for the next 10 seconds uh it was around the time when his son uh got bitten and then died i think i literally had stopped an episode before that uh just because i i kind of similar to how i felt about uh six months to a year ago with uh, wwe bearing in mind i've recently been you know uh, helping um helping on a the main wrestling show when i find myself skipping through episodes then i kind of think you know what why am i doing this I'm not going to go online saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, they need to do this or otherwise I'm going to stop watching. Like, they, they don't care. They don't care. You know, what one person is a drop in the ocean. But when I find with a program, even a film, any sort of content, if I'm having to skip through parts and then inevitably I'll then end up skipping through more and more, it's just time to call it quits. Like, there's more important things to do. There's other there's other entertainment that can have your attention, and for me that's what happened with Walking Dead. I just thought, why, you know, I think I'd got to a position I had on Series Link on Sky, and I I just went to go right, okay, got like seven episodes recorded. Let's just let's start getting getting through through them. And I put one on, and I just thought, oh my god, they're attacking the Saviors outpost. Saviors are. Kicking back at them. Why am I just watching this? You know, 
you hardly there was a point where you hardly had any zombies in. They were just kind of background cannon fodder. I get this is me going on a Walking Dead universe rant, but I get that there's only so long you can have obviously zombies as your antagonist. You know, very early on with like the governor and whatnot, or you know, different random factions. People will devolve, and uh, and that will be kind of the 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 bad thing that you've got to deal with. But it just it it became crap. Um, let's just have a quick look at the chat before we go on to the next bit of news. Um, so, so the gruff says, uh, kind of lost interest years before. Um, King of Hueco Mundo says, The Walking Dead needs more zombies and less people to people issues. I mean, I wasn't even looking at the chat when I was just talking then, but we're on the same wavelength then. Yeah, it's the zombies seem to become. I mean, I don't know what's happened in the years since the point, you know. You know when I kind of stopped it, it was probably a few seasons back, but it became just kind of arbitrary, really. Uh, the Gruff, similar reason I stopped watching WWE. Yes, we're very much on the same page there, mate. Um, I was watching it out of routine, but not enjoying it. I would skip most of Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, for me, I loved NXT. That was my regular thing, and SmackDown. Raw started to become the show that I would fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, to the point where I was then like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to watch it. Let's just have a quick a quick look on, you know, Facebook or something, not bothered. And then SmackDown, it kind of happened the same. And I just thought, you know what? I know there's other means to, to watch and I'm going to pass no judgment. But I thought, you know what? Why am I paying for like Sky Sports, BT Sports or whatever when the team, my, my football team had just been doing terrible this year. So I'm not really watching that. Um, I've got mortgage to pay now. Like why just, why stick around for the wrestling when the wrestling's just, you know, I could just watch AEW 650 a month or free on TV. We're going very sidetracked. If you're not a wrestling fan, you're watching the horror show. Apologies. Uh, I, I, I imagine there's a fair bit of crossover audience. But um, yeah, other bits in the chat. Uh, the Gruff also says, I did try Fear the Walking Dead, but season two was bored. Uh, Bruce Todd, Haven is a good example of knowing when to quit. Five good seasons in closure. Haven, uh, Bruce Todd's a, a show that I keep meaning to watch. I did do season one and I did genuinely enjoy it, but I didn't find, kind of similar to Ash v Evil Dead, I didn't find that I wanted to binge it i didn't find that i wanted to get onto the next episode i'd kind of just put it on uh but then again that was only the the first season i saw kind of similar to uh uh castle rock um i saw bits and pieces but i just i never felt that it grabbed me and maybe i needed to give it a few more episodes uh, fran the cannon says it's something i might go back to when it's done and i can watch it at my own pace the varying breaks killed my interest um yeah it's it's kind of that was, I think, part of the problem. I quite like uh, a UK TV um, schedule, which the American TV schedules did start adopting. Six to ten episodes, maybe 12 tops, and have a concise story. You have a few kind of episodes here and there at the start and the middle, which maybe aren't focused on the overall narrative, but you've, you've got an overall story there. Walking, Fear the Walking Dead, or, or The Walking Dead, I should say, started with, I think, a six-episode first season. That was great. But then it started creeping into, we're going to have a first half of six episodes, or eight episodes, second half, similar similar sort of thing. And you're again then falling into 16, 18, 20 episodes a season with a break in the middle. Um, and I get, yeah, it kind of just ran its course for me. Um, <laughs> Necro Eric says, uh, Coronation Street Goat. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I can't say I've seen Coronation Street for many, many years. Uh, but I didn't realise it was a—is uh, is it a thing over in um, over in Canada? 
Um, and Bruce Todd says, I love it, bought the DVDs. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on uh, on Prime, um, Bruce, because I've only recently gone back to start Supernatural. Again, I fell off the Supernatural wagon around season nine, maybe season 10. I do want to finish it. Um, again, I, it just became a show that it would record each week and then the recordings would pile up and I thought, oh, now I've got like 10 episodes stacked up. I'm not really in the mood to you know, get into that. It'd become a little bit stale. Um, but but Haven, I'll keep an eye to see if it goes back on Prime, and if it does, I will. Uh, I'll certainly give it a uh, a give it a watch. <laughs> Bruce Todd, imagine marathon in Coronation Street from episode one. God no. <laughs> and the final part of this week's news, which is going to lead into something we're going to be talking about for next week, um, the planned Stranger Things spin-off ideas, a very very different series. This comes yesterday from John Squires at bloodydisgusting.com. After Stranger Things unleashes its jumbo-sized fourth season this year, only one more season remains, with Stranger Things 5 confirmed to be the show's final season. Of course, that doesn't mean Netflix is giving up on the world of Stranger Things, with creators the Duff Brothers recently teasing spin-off projects to come after season 5. The brothers said in a February statement, there's still many more exciting stories to tell within the world of Stranger Things. New mysteries, new adventures, new unexpected heroes. Uh, speaking with Variety this week, Matt and Ross Duffer have again teased the potential for Stranger Things spin-off projects, talking about one spin-off series in particular. They tell Variety, We do have an idea for a spin-off that we're super excited about, but we haven't told anyone that idea yet, much less written it. We thank, We think everyone, including Netflix, will be surprised when they hear the concept, because it's very, very different. But somehow Finn Wolfhard, who is one crazy smart kid, correctly guessed what it was going to be about. But aside from Finn, no one else knows. So Stranger Things Season 4 comes to Netflix uh, in Volume 1 this Friday. I believe that's Friday, twenty yeah, 27th. Uh, with Volume 2 arriving on July 1st. So... Stranger Things Season 4, I'm hyped to watch. Like, the trailers looked incredible. It looks kind of different to what they've done before, which I think is great. Um, in regards to expanding it into spin-offs, I don't know how I feel about that, because I love Stranger Things. I thought Season 1 was excellent. I think Season 2 was really good. There was one episode that kind of killed the momentum a bit for me, and that was when we kind of focused on the, uh, the kids with the powers. I think that episode can work, but it just you were building up such a momentum with each episode building the story and then to take that step away from it i think they could have maybe had that step away split up maybe across two or three episodes or whatever alongside what was going on back at hawkins um and season three i know some people didn't like it i thought it was really good again i, I really enjoyed it um you know it was it's, it's uh influences on its sleeve i think that's great but when we start talking about spin-offs um, for me, off the top of my head, and I probably there's probably are ones that I can't think of. I don't know how many horror spin-offs or genre spin-offs have been that notable. I imagine there's probably some really obvious ones that I'm just not thinking of right now. Um, obviously, let me know in the chat. But I always get a bit nervous when a show which hasn't reached its end yet. It's got an end in sight, which is great because uh, I, I, you know, I, I like to have a show where it's it. They they know that they're ending it. They know you've got an idea or hope that they know where they're going with it, and hopefully it's a satisfying or a conclusion that makes sense. You know, you're not always going to please everyone. 
Um, but when we start talking about spin-offs um, this early, when we're in our penultimate season, I do get a little bit worried. Um, so, for example, <laughs> Necro Eric in the chat, is the Adams Family considered a horror program? We should talk about it. Um, to be honest, I haven't really seen that much Adam's Family. I vaguely remember the films. I'm sure that there was a cartoon that I remember. To be honest, in my youth, I got the Adam's Family and the Monsters mixed up a lot. Um, we can talk about it if you want to talk. Uh, if you want to talk Adam's Family, uh, sure. Let's let's book it in for a couple episodes time. I'm always up for being educated. Um, and I guess you could consider it horror. I mean, it's uh, spooky and it's scary. I don't know if those are lyrics. I'm not going to go onto that. Um, but I'd put it in the same vein as The Monsters, and I'd say The Monsters is a kind of family-friendly horror. Um, but when we talk about spin-offs of, you know, expanding the universe, and everything seems to be about universes these days, I guess it's the one kind of potential negative you could say about the MCU, is you got such great stuff, and they had such a big build um, a couple of years ago. Um, for me, I'm kind of going through MCU fatigue. Uh just because some of the last couple of bits that I've seen have just not really done it for me. Um, I still haven't seen Doctor Strange uh, Multiverse of Madness, to be fair. Um, but I, I guess a prime example that I can think of when discussing planned spin-offs is Game of Thrones. Now, there, there is one coming out soon, I can't remember the title of it, but there was a very exp expensive pilot shot for another spin-off, and I believe that got cancelled. I could be wrong. Could be mixing two shows that are actually just one. But we had Game of Thrones was the biggest show on TV for quite a while. And then the last season specifically, um, it was very divisive. A lot of people hated it. For me, I'm not going to go into the Game of Thrones thing uh, in the chat, because I imagine there may be fans of it who may have divisive opinions there, maybe. Um, I thought the last season was fine. I mean, the last couple of seasons, they did speed things up quite a bit. Pros and cons to that, sometimes I think it was season four, or three specifically things seemed a lot more dragged out you know no 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 program's perfect but for me they announced ahead of time that we're ending things in season whatever it is but we're going to do these spin-offs and then if things go south the way they did with the fan base with you know the the pop culture you then almost shoot yourself in the foot because these creators have such a at that time a golden name to them all of a sudden, people hated them and thought, oh, God, I don't want them involved in a project. I'm not saying that's going to happen with the Duffer Brothers. I've got a lot of faith in them. But for me, I don't know. I don't know what I would want in a spin-off. I think it would have to be very interesting. I know they say it's very, very different. But it would have to be something very interesting for me to go into it. And at the moment, I, I look at... Because normally with a spin-off, you've got at least one character you know, coming across... Uh, even if it's just as a cameo or, you know, however they kind of connect the universes or the stories. Um, for me, I don't know what I'd want to see expanded. I, I think that they are doing a great job of kicking in with people's nostalgia, showing the influences, you know, John Carpenter, Stephen King, uh, lots of other things um, that I don't want them to shoot themselves in the foot. I want this next season, which the trailers again look incredible. I'm so hyped for seeing what Robert Englund's character is going to be like. It's kind of implied that he may be the big bad of the season, but there's quite a lot of different hints in the various trailers. But I want this to have a 
a good conclusion that makes sense. I'm not necessarily saying a happy conclusion, but a conclusion that makes sense. And for there to be spin-offs, I don't know. Uh, I I have to wait and see. I don't want to shoot down ideas before they occur. I very much try to have an open mind. I never take the mentality of, oh, they've ruined the legacy and blah, 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 blah. The original, the prior seasons, whatever. They're, they're, they're always there. They're not going anywhere. Um, you know, if things could take a downward turn, they take a downward turn, whatever. You've still got whatever was good of that series of franchise. Um, uh, Fran the Cannon in the chat. Honestly, Stranger Things is one of those shows that's passed me by. I would say, Fran, give season one a watch. Even if you just watch a couple episodes, um, give it a watch. I, so Stranger Things is the only show I can think of on... Of, actually, no, it is the only show. The only show on streaming platforms or wherever where I've binged a season pretty much in a sitting each time. I'm not intended to. Um, I think it was even season three. I started fairly late because I thought, oh, maybe I'll start it tomorrow. I couldn't stop. Couldn't stop watching them. Um, and I generally really enjoyed season three. Season one, I think, is still the best. Um, so other than maybe Cobra Kai, which I think I've watched over a weekend, um, it is one of those shows where you've got a great cast, great story, um, developing story, and you get to the end of an episode and you just want to watch another one. Um, what else we got in the chat? What about the feature-length episodes? Could they not just be another season? They said they have episodes longer than some Netflix films. Uh, yeah, they've announced a couple of the episode lengths. I think a couple are an hour and a half. One, I think, is over two hours. Um, do you know what? Probably a couple of years ago, I might have had the same thought of, why just you know find a find a natural kind of stopping point or cliffhanger moment stop there start the next episode doesn't make sense to me but um after watching season three of twin peaks the return and i may be getting this wrong but i'm sure that some episodes of that vary quite considerably in length i um, mean it's not new to netflix there are shows like uh, the oa which I, you know, I watched season one and I was intrigued with it till the very end when it's just, they're just doing a stupid dance, in my opinion. <laughs> but that had episodes that were 25 minutes long and then 55 minutes long. This is obviously a bit different. It's more like feature-length episodes like mini-films, or, well, basically films. Um, but I, I'm kind of reserving judgment until I see it. Like I say, so season three, uh, Twin Peaks The Return, I'm sure that uh, episode uh, 10, which I think was the kind of the nucleus of the Bob character being, I'm sure that was like an hour and a half. And I thought that was incredible. I thought that was like cinema on TV. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I guess I guess it may affect my ability to binge the entire season in one sitting. <laughs> if I've got, if I, you know, where I'd normally get through three episodes within like two and a half hours, and it might now be one episode in two and a half hours. The ability to binge part one may be, uh, may be a little bit more difficult, but that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, sometimes it's good to spread things out. Who knows? Uh, and Bruce Todd in the chat. I'm not hyped for spin-offs. Often uh, they're doomed from the start. Yeah, kind of as I was saying earlier, it's we'll 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 see. We'll see. I mean, they say they they've they've done great. They've done great with Stranger Things. So let's. Uh, I'll I'll reserve judgment, but I do have my reservations because I kind of expanding universe is kind of similar. Uh, to you know, supernatural going into the Winchesters. I don't have the same level of fandom for that, but um, do I want to see that? Not really. No. But that is what it is. Now that is the uh, 
Ah, the Gruff, just as I'm about to finish the news, comes in with a very good point. Uh, the Gruff says, Angel is one of the few spin-offs that were good, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, so I was a big Buffy fan growing up. I never, at the time when it was live on TV, watched the uh, the Angel spin-off season series. Just because I I never really found Angel that interesting a character. I think he was quite cool as Angelus. Um, just because we're getting to bare his teeth a bit more. Uh, very funny. Um, but I always found him as the mopey, mopey human vampire, a bit, bit of a dullard. Um, so I stuck with Buffy. A few years later, I then thought, okay, Angel's meant to be really good. I started watching it. I think I'd, I think I'd seen the box sets of Angel and Buffy were really cheap, like on offer on Amazon at the time. So I thought, let's try and do it at the same time. You know, watch season one to three of Buffy, move on to season four, and then kind of start putting the episodes. I think it was like, you know, linking the episodes up, whatever it was. And very quickly, I got to the point where I just continued with Angel because Buffy, the, the end of it was all right, but there's a few seasons that are a little bit, a little bit wishy-washy there. Uh, but Angel, my God, really good. And it just got better and better, I thought. Um, so, yeah, I, I knew that there was a spin-off I'd be forgetting. But, uh, yeah, 100% uh, agree, Gruff. Um, and Fran Lacan says, I also enjoyed the X-Files adjacent shows Millennium and The Lone Gunman. Now, I love The X-Files. I never got around to seeing The Lone Gunman. Um, and I did have a couple of box sets of Millennium, but I think it was one of those shows where I didn't just sit down and go, right, let's, let's watch let's watch a couple episodes and just stick with it. I think I picked them up uh, cheap at like uh, eBay or something. I never really gave Millennium a chance, and I think it's kind of harder to come by now. I'm sure I've looked on Amazon recently, and it's more like not available on Prime. It's available through like third-party sellers for like 40 quid a season. So I haven't really given Millennium a watch, although I would have loved to. And uh, But yeah, I loved The X-Files. It was probably one of my first uh, horror sci-fi TV series that I saw growing up. Um, yeah. They should put it on Disney+. Plus. Agree. X-Files is, X-Files is up there. So um, hopefully Millennium and Lone Gunman. I know they're a little bit more niche. Um, but you'd hope so. I mean, Disney+, Plus has been putting some good stuff up on there. Um... Um, Bruce Todd says, Millennium didn't hook me. I agree. Lone Gunman is a is a before example of spin-offs that failed. Um, Millennium was dark, Fran the Can says. I remember the Millennium um, crossover episode with X-Files being pretty decent. Um, but that is it for the news. Let's... Oh, Necro Eric. Sorry, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the chat. Um, Criminal Mind spin-offs, uh, International Boards and Suspect Behaviour, both very interesting, but I think folks had fatigue of that flawless formula. Yeah, do you know what? I love a good... I was going to say a good serial killer. Uh, a good thriller-based crime procedural. And uh, Criminal Minds, from start to finish, I thought was excellent. So yeah, some of the, the core cast were better than others, but I think they touched on good thriller um, aspects. They had some good horror aspects, kind of peppered in a couple of times. There was a... Um, Jeremy, uh, oh Christ, I've forgotten his name, Randy from Scream. Um, he played a cannibal serial killer in a couple of episodes, and uh, Aubrey Plaza was, was excellent in the episode she was in. And I will agree with Necro Eric. Um, I have watched both International Borders, and I think I've seen Suspect Behaviour, and yeah, they were good. I don't think they got given uh, long enough. I think they could have easily kept up that, that formula, because the serial killer of the week, it's the terror event of the week, you know? Um, I think it's really good stuff. Really, really, really good stuff. Um, let's move on now to our reviews. 
we're going to continue things with the reviews. Now, first up, I watched this pretty quickly throughout the weekend, and I think I don't agree with the praise. Now, if you've seen this, you may agree with me, you may disagree with me, but this did not live up to the hype that I, uh, I generated for myself by watching the trailer, and that is The Stylist. Uh, the Stylist is a uh, it's a 2020 film, but it's recently come out on Shudder in the UK. I imagine it might be on the US as well. I think US has got a much better Shudder than we have. And I realise I've not had the chat on screen this entire time. Apologies. Uh, chuck that on there as well. Probably doesn't look so good over the poster, but we'll be moving the chat around shortly. So it's a 2020 American horror drama film produced, co-written and directed by Jill um, Gavagizian. I am awful at pronouncing names. It's based on the director's short film, the same name, and it stars Najara Townsend and Bria Grant, uh, premiered at the 2020 Fantastic Fest. Um, so the initial vibe that I was getting from this, from the trailer, um, and check out on YouTube, uh, YouTube the trailer, if, uh, if you're intrigued, it gave me a sort of a feel of a, a highly polished maniac uh, mixed with a bit of uh, Lucky McGee's, as far as I'm concerned, Lucky McGee's best film, which is May. Um, the reason I kind of got that, um, I, I got that vibe was you had uh, the scalpings. I guess it's kind of the only real connection with Maniac, along with the disassociation of uh, of reality and fantasy, and uh, a similar theme with May, but also with isolation, uh, loneliness. Um, if you've never seen May, I know some people who've seen them going, oh, it's all right. Don't know why it. I I just thought it was excellent. I really, um, I thought it was brilliant. And uh, you kind of have these this sense of loneliness with the character. She she finds that she I guess part of the thing of the trailer. She wants what she can't have. Um, she's clearly got a bit of a screw loose. But here's the general plot. So Claire works as a hairdresser at home and every day she gets clients who, while she does their hair, they, they tell interesting stories to her. The job that she does is tedious and lonely and no one seems to realise that she has feelings too. And this, this plot synopsis is a little bit underselling it. Uh, one of her frequent clients uh, that she takes care of is Olivia, who one day asks her to make a haircut for her wedding. Claire eventually gets deeply sad with her life and decides to kill Olivia in order to make her life better. As Claire kills one client after another, she mimics their lifestyle by using their belongings, voices, and even their hair to decorate her cellar. So yeah, kind of similar with Maniac in terms of having this uh, this home location where she's almost collecting their scalps, their hair. She She's a very lonely individual. She doesn't seem to be able to kind of make friends she early on at the very start of the film she's talking to this client who uh is opening up about her quite exciting life traveling away from her family doing graphic design um having an affair while she's away doing graphic design and uh and claire poisons her drink and then quite graphically although shot quite stylized i will say uh scalps her takes a scalp and her hair off um i really wanted to enjoy this film i wanted to kind of be you know in for the ride but i don't know it just did not it did not click with me and i can't think why the acting was fine it shot brilliantly like it's got really lush lush colors in it um but it felt like more of a dark drama film with some 
bloody splatter in it than kind of like a horror film. And I've, I've said before, and I, I will stick with it, that I'm not a, a horror gatekeeper. I don't think you have to have certain parameters for something to be horror. You can find horror in a lot of uh, a lot of films, you know, a lot of subjects, art mediums, whatever. But um, oh, Netcracking checks says uh, scalping sounds intriguing. It's pretty. It's pretty kind of clinical, but bloody and visceral how how she does it. Um, it does look pretty disgusting when she was put someone's scalp on her head, um, just to kind of get the hairstyle. Um, but it just. It, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It kind of felt like style over substance um, for me. Um, I mean, reception-wise, it's got a score of 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, average uh, viewer rating 7.3, a slasher with flair and crafty patience for the kill. Um, I just, I just, I, I couldn't get into it. I didn't enjoy it like I thought I would. Um, I'm going to give it 5.5 out of 10. Just because I think it's got plus points for the visuals of it, it does look great. Um, but it it just it didn't didn't sucker me in, you know. It didn't. It it just disappointed me a bit. Um, but yeah, five point five out of ten. That's my score. That's what I say. Um, agree with it or disagree with it. That's, that's cool. Let me know if you've seen it in the chat. Let me know if you want to see it. Um, and hopefully you check back and um, you know. Let me know your thoughts on it in uh, Twitter, at Ministry underscore Horror. So that is my score for The Stylist. Now, I tried to, again, tried to find another modern or newish horror. There is one that's recently come out on Sky that I was going to watch um, called Come Play. Um, but I think it's about two, three years old now. And I thought, oh, I want to be trying trying to do uh, more brand new kind of horror films. Um, but nothing coming there's nothing new on streaming that I can really find. Um and there's been very little that I've seen new available to rent or buy that I thought, oh, I want to commit my money to that, you know. Energy prices are going up. I don't want to be spending four fifty on a or or you know, like a premiere, like a fifteen quid on a premiere. I'll quite happily wait till next month, hopefully, I believe it's next month, when my pre order of X will finally arrive. Um <laughs> Bruce Todd, five point five is a score most fun horrors wish they had yeah i don't think the stylist was fun so i am being kind of generous it's the appearance really that gets it speaking of fun though that brings us on to our next film so we haven't got another modern film to review but we have a uh <laughs> we have our full moon retro review and that is gary Busey in the ginger dead man if you're not familiar with the ginger dead man I imagine you can probably get a good idea of the plot synopsis from the title of the film. It is a gingerbread man that kills. Um, so this is another full moon film that's barely over an hour long. Uh, and that works out fine for me because when you just want to put something on, uh, see what it's like, you're not committing too much of your time. It's got Gary Busey as the star in it. Um... You can't really go wrong, Gary Busey. He's fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, it's a 2005 American... 2005? It does not look like it came out in 2005. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought it was like 1998, 97. Um, it's a 2005 American comedy slasher film directed by Charles Band, the legend, the goat of modern B-movies. 
Gary Busey stars as the titular Ginger Dead Man, created from a mix of gingerbread spice mix and the ashes of the, the deceased serial killer Millard Findelmeyer, who terrorizes a small town bakery. The film also stars Robin Sidney, Jonathan Chase, Alexia Ellman, Marg um, Margaret Bly, James Snyder, and Larry Cedar. Um, so just have a quick look at the chat. So Bruce Todd says, uh, nice full moon is always a blast. Yeah, Bruce, if you're not already subscribed, um, there's a full moon channel on Prime, seven day free trial, and after that's $3.99 a month, and I think it's got all full moon things. I mainly got it for the subspecies series and to try and watch the Puppet Master series, but oh, it's got a lot on there. Uh, Fran the Can says, These days with streaming, I don't think focusing on the brand new is as important as it once was. Always plenty of missed and hidden gems. You know what, Fran? That is a good point. Um, that is a good point. I think if there's a big-time new film, I will try and seek it out. I guess I've been trying to look for the newer stuff, so, you know, find a hidden gem or a modern gem but then that is you know potentially overlooking uh, a number of other films uh readily available i think part of the issue is a lot of the streaming services um either have just the classics and what looks like crap or just kind of crap which is a bit dismissive but i mean i looked at new horror on uh, on uh, netflix recently sorry and they had all these robert films like Robert the Doll, and they all seem to have been made within like a six months of each other. And they look from the imagery like they're shot well, but I'm like, does this look like I really want to commit my time to it? Robert the Doll. There's a there's a number of doll films. A lot of them are crap. Um, it's just it's quite derivative, and uh, apparently they are all crap. I don't mean to be dismissive of the director. You may enjoy the Robert the Doll films. If they're good, let me know. I will give them a watch. Uh, they don't look great. Um, oh, King of Hueco Mundo. The Blob 80s movie was great. I, I still really want to watch that. I've seen the practical effects in a number of like kind of best uh, like gore animation type videos, and uh, they look excellent. Um, <laughs> Necro, this sounds like an 80s D-tier horror film. It looks like an 80s D-tier horror film, Necro. It was made in 2005. It does not look like it was made in 2005. Um Full Moon, baby, ah, Baby Ice, um, who was on uh, Sunday show. Full Moon gave me the Trancers series. There's Trancers. There's, I think, Guyvers on there as well. There's a whole bunch of these series that I've not actually seen that I keep meaning to, but now with the Prime uh, channel, Full Moon, I will, I will get around to them. I will get around to them. Maybe Trancers is, uh, we'll do Trancers one maybe for next week retro review. Um, is it horror or is it more sci-fi? I mean, I don't mind doing sci-fi on here, um, but the, say if you don't know, if you're new to the show, I do some horror film reviews, but I've now started doing uh, the Full Moon Retro Review. We've done Killjoy, um, and we're now looking at the Ginger Dead Man. We did Shriekers last week. Um, sci-fi. Okay, I mean, I'll, I'll maybe throw it in there. Like I said, I'm, this is a Ministry of Horror, but I'm not like going to dismiss other things. I'll, I'll give it a watch. I'll give it a watch. But let's talk about the Ginger Dead Man. Um, yeah, I mean, where do we go with this? Oh, yeah, Bruce Todd, good point. Cannibal Holocaust was mentioned in the Video Nasties episode. Yeah, that is on Prime, actually, and I've still not got around to watching that. That is on my watch list. Um, so I mean, I'm not going to read the whole plot of this film because, Christ, the, the amount of time it would take to read the plot on uh, on Wikipedia is probably about the amount of time it takes to just sit and watch it. 
Basically, there's a bakery that's being held hostage by a serial killer called uh, Millard Findelmeyer. I mean, if you're a mental serial killer, would you not be holding up somewhere that's going to have a bit more money than a bakery that sells goods for like 50 pence? You know, come on, this is crazy. Uh, while he's there, he opens fire, killing Jeremy and James of the Lee family and leaving Sarah and her mother, Betty, alive. He is arrested sentenced to die in the electric chair um, and he is cremated. His ashes are sent to his mother, who is a witch, who mixes the ashes with a gingerbread spice mix which goes to the bakery. I mean, <laughs> you've already got a witch involved in the story. Uh, anyway, he, he basically gets baked into a gingerbread man, comes alive, starts killing people. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, I don't have a separate scoring system for the the retro reviews to the regular reviews. So there's not like this is a eight out of ten on retro reviews, but a one out of ten in, in normal. I, I generally will base my and I don't even have a strict scale, I just kinda of go with what I feel for the score. This film is crazy. I mean, for a seventy five minute film it does kind of drag, I'll be honest, which isn't a good sign when a film is an hour and a quarter long. But Gary Busey, when his voice is in it or when he's in it at the start, he is entertaining. Like you, you, I've never seen Gary Busey and thought this is dull. Uh, so for me, I mean, the film itself is—I've not even seen the sequels yet. I'm aware that there's about three or four sequels. It's a four out of ten for me. It's fun. Um, yeah, Paul Barrow. It's a bad child's play. That's kind of—I was thinking when I was watching it. It's—it's—it's it's, it's very derivative of child's play. You've got a, re a killer, serial killer reanimated as something that wouldn't normally be alive. Um, Brandon Cannon, proof wrestling and horror does crossover. I watched a video this week where Ali the Bunny talked about her love of the Puppet Master films. I've seen some stuff with uh, with the Bunny on um, on YouTube, and yeah, I think she's a big a big horror fan. And uh, not surprisingly, I'd imagine them um, Abaddon um, Abaddon is as well. Uh, Frank Cannon says, um, full moon tend to score low on quality, but high and funny. It's exactly. It's, uh, oh, baby ice. What we're saying here. You looking for horror to cover dead snow one and two. I've not seen either. Uh, the VHS series. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking not this week coming up, uh, baby ice. Cause I will talk about what we're going to be looking at next week, but I do want to do a found footage show found footage episode i'd have hoped that i could wrap it in with a review of the recently released shudder found footage phenomenon uh documentary series but for whatever reason and i've checked on a facebook group and i think there's a few other people in the same boat i can't find it on shudder i don't have this i don't pay for shudder directly i have the shudder prime channel i believe there's a little bit of a difference in in shows but normally the exclusives are on both uh this is in the uk as well the um uh, they're on both of the uh prime channel and the, the website directly. But I'd have hoped to have done, um, uh, you know, done a review of that and then talked about found footage films. I'll keep an eye out for it. And when that does come up, I'll, I'll do that. But VHS series, yeah, I love VHS 1. I, I think just the whole thing's excellent. 2's got some great moments. I've still not seen VHS Viral, but I watched VHS 94 recently and I genuinely enjoyed it. Not just the Ratma, um, <laughs> but I, I thought the whole thing's great. The late 80s Scarecrows. Man, I fucking love uh, the 80s film Scarecrows. I just thought it was so creepy. Like, it's genuinely quite a creepy film. Like, the acting's a little bit 
hibbity-pibbity. I believe one of the actors was basically a financer that was just like, I'll give you money to make your film, but I want to be in it and I want to be a badass. Fair play to him. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? I'm not going to... I'm not going to crap on that. Uh, Dawn of the Dead 78. Give us the hits. Dawn of the Dead, uh, baby. I, if you look back a few episodes, I think it may have been episode two, episode three, I had uh, Twitch streamer uh, Erratic Agent on, and we looked at our top five zombie films. His top five, my top five. And, um, yeah, we both had Dawn of the Dead on our list, but he had the remake, and I had the 78 original. And funnily enough... Again, we didn't see either's list beforehand. We both rated it three in our in our top five. So, um, uh, Bruce Todd, ninety four better have actually been shot on VHS. I don't feel these VHS filters. Uh, I don't know about how it was shot, uh, Bruce Todd, but it's got at least two. I think maybe even three. I think it might be just three stories in total, but they're all quite unique and different. One of them is a really cool uh, body horror kind of cyberpunk esque. Uh, mech tech nightmare it's really good 94 i think is actually really good i think it's quite underrated uh yeah thanks baby ice it's i think it's episode three uh, with erratic agent but yeah le and let me know on uh on twitter ministry underscore horror what you thought of the top five uh drop your top five in the chat as well uh but ginger dead man that for me is a four out of ten it's fun it's stupid it drags a little bit but it's fun now before we get on to the main bulk of the show, we have the return of a little segment we were going to do monthly, and then it got delayed a bit because I take a while, <laughs> I take a while reading. I mainly just like doing that for the music. Uh, we've doing book club once a month. I don't get to hear that music uh, quite enough. Um, I need to actually just quickly bring up the background information on this. But as we discussed just over a month ago, we are going to be looking at... Oh, man, I haven't even added it as, a, uh, as an element. Wait a second. What, what a fool I am. Uh, oh god where's the picture there it is right it's just probably appeared on screen randomly <laughs> all right let's make that bigger if you if you're listening on the podcast don't worry it's just me being crap at tech uh we are discussing the richard lemond book funland now um i was introduced to richard lemond i believe by fran the canon again i've just pointed out if i'm wrong i've got the worst memory in the world but the MOH Book Club, if you're new to this, uh, I wanted to not just talk about film mainly or, or TV. I, I love horror literature. I grew up on Stephen King. Um, oh, Bruce Todd. Um, I tell you what, Bruce Todd, I will give the thumbs up on the video when we finish talking about Funland. There's no review score on screen for this. I'm just going to be talking, uh, talking about... Um, the general thing so yeah i would this is going to be full of spoilers so yeah bruce anyone who doesn't want to know about Funland, if you're watching live i'll give the thumbs up at the end but i would i would mute it if you don't want to hear about it 
So I didn't know who Richard Lamont was. Um, we were, uh, the first book we did for MOH Book Club, which is where we find a book. Um, I had a couple of books I wanted to decide which one. We'll read it over the course of a month because I'm not a quick reader. Um, and then we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the book, talk about how I found the, the book. You know, if you've read it as well, let me know your thoughts. Um, and I believe Fran the Cannon mentioned, uh, mentioned Richard Lamont and a few of his titles. Now, I'm not familiar with him, never heard of him. I'm aware he's deceased, um, and I think he was one of those authors that may have, I think he's an American author, I think did better over here than in America, was maybe found a bit later on, but he had, I mean, this has got from uh, Dean Koontz, said, no one writes like Lehman, and you're going to have a good time with anything he writes. Uh, and also the picture I think we've got on screen says, Stephen King, if you miss Lehman, you're missing a treat, or you've missed a treat. Um... So I, I, it took me a little while to get into this, and not because of the writing or anything like that, but I find some books just take a little while before they kind of grip me. Um, I, I, re I do read a lot of Stephen King. He's my favourite author, you know, as cliche as it is, but I love his prose. I love the way he writes uh, characters' perspectives. He has the odd moments where you just think, why have you written that? That's just weird. Um, but what author doesn't? Um, so I went into this not really knowing anything about it. But I thought the setting just looks cool. I mean, what's creepier than a fun park? There's a lot going on in this book. And that's even before we get to the finale. To begin with, one of the characters, because you've got a few different characters who you're, you're looking at from their point of view. One of the characters, uh, a young lad called Jeremy. I was, I was kind of confused because I was thinking, is he supposed to be the protagonist? um or not because he seems like a bit of a dick so for example anytime there's an interaction with a girl he becomes proper horn dog now i'm not going to throw stones in glass houses you know when you're growing up you maybe don't always think with uh your your head i'm going to throw stones in here but he gets some of his inner, inner machinations are a little bit rapey I mean, there's a fight that breaks out with these on the beach with his friend, um, his friend Cowboy, and a couple of these older punks who've got these girls, girls with them. And he ends up fighting with the girls, and I think the first thing he tries to do is rip one of their tops off and kind of gets a grope. It's, it's a bit problematic, his character. As the story does progress and we get into the final third, um, and he has these moments for redemption, and he doesn't take them. He's he's conflicted. He seems to have a nice mum and everything, but he just he doesn't full on commit to being a good guy. There's a character called Tanya, who's uh, I'll give you the basic basic glimpse of the the book if you if you're not read it and you're not looking to read it. And as I've said, be aware spoilers. So the book is all about trolling. Now this isn't trolling like internet trolling. It is essentially homeless people on this beach in, I guess it's California. They're known as trolls. So you, you go into the beach, you go into the fun land, you go into the pier, and they're coming out of the woodwork, under the bridge, wherever, asking for change. And they get treated as trolls. And initially you're thinking, okay, this isn't, isn't really very nice on these characters. You know, people fall on hard times. Um... Around <laughs> the canon, the author pretty much wrote most of the characters as driven by their libido during the book. I will get to that in a minute. I will get to that. Trust me, I've got I've got a lot of notes about this book. Um, and uh, <laughs> it, 
These characters, they then start getting attacked by a group known as Trollers, or Big Billy Goat Gruff, I believe that's their calling card. And Trollers will go at night, middle of the night, beat up a troll, and leave them in a compromised position with a little note, like a calling card. Um, things do start escalating. Uh, we meet this group, and one of the trollers, the lead troll, is this uh, supposedly gorgeous woman called Tanya. And our, our character um, is... Uh, oh, thanks, we got a raid from uh, Erratic Agent. Thanks, dude. Um, our character... Jeremy, he 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 finds he's got this new group of friends. He quickly becomes very enamoured uh, with Tanya. He has an opportunity with another girl called Shiner, who seems really nice and sweet, but he uh, he fluffs it because he's basically a horn dog. Uh, there's also these cops involved. Uh, Joan, I believe, is one. I can't remember the guy's name, but he has a girlfriend who he basically leaves for this his partner Joan. Uh, his girlfriend's a reporter, and she goes undercover to try and get uh, a view of what it's like for these homeless people being treated as trolls. So for the longest time, there's not really like a central antagonist. You're you're kind of led to believe that the trollers, who are almost like our main group of kids or teenagers, are kind of dicks. Um, but some of them seem all right. Other ones, like, I mean, the, the character of Cowboy, he seems quite cool, but at the same point, he's very much on board with beating up and ultimately killing uh, one of these trolls, and things escalate from there. Now, Joan and Dave, yes, thank you, Fran Cannon. When we're talking about libido, firstly, the amount of time he refers to the arse as a rump. He says rump so much in this book when talking about anyone's arse, right? Okay, fine, whatever. Characters fall in love so fucking quickly in this. If if I'm led to believe that this is happening on consecutive days and evenings, like there's no indication until the very end of the book, till the kind of the epilogue, that there's an extended period of time. But Joan and Dave basically fall in love straight away. Like they they leave their respective partners, or kind of a little bit of a crossover, a little bit naughty, but they leave their respective partners and uh, end up hooking up straight away. They're in love. They're committed to each other. Right? Okay. There is also a uh, a very popular uh, homeless girl who plays the banjo and earns some money on the boardwalk called Robin. She meets a character called Nate, who initially is going out. He's one of the trollers, and but he's got a bit more of a conscience, and he's going out with Tanya. On the same night that he breaks up with Tanya, he meets up with Robin. He's bought her a, a motel room for her to stay in. They end up quite quickly hooking up, and then they're declaring their love for each other. There's a fair amount of sex in this book. There's a fair amount of I love you and I love you and we're all in love. Fine. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to disparage, you know, love at first sight or whatever. Who cares? But it's really when it gets into like the, not even the second half, I think the final third of the book, where you start to realise, okay, the trolls aren't entirely innocent. I mean, there's one troll who's a bit naughty, um, stealing from Robin when she's asleep. So you kind of think maybe he's tried to get a bit naughty with her. But he's quite charming. Uh, he gets he gets killed, and you're, you're kind of led to believe, okay, well, the trollers are bad. The trolls are just really misunderstood and being taken advantage of. No, 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 not entirely. <laughs> not entirely. Um, <laughs> we find that the trolls... Uh, are, are basically in league or in line with a guy who runs an oddities uh, amusement thing, like a freak show almost, but he can't have freaks. 
as you know, for want of a better term, because there was an incident a few years back, police made him kind of get rid of them or lock them all away or whatever, because of some instances with attacking, you know, patrons of the boardwalk. He is basically enlisting these freaks to capture people, including um, Dave's uh, Dave's girlfriend. Yeah, Pop and Sack, that's who I'm talking about earlier. Um, so this guy Jasper, he's basically enlisted these, uh, these trolls, and they are insane. Insane. Like, literally, the final third of the book, things get ramped up to 11. Um. <laughs> oh. Okay, my series just suddenly uh, piping up. Ignore that. Um, we get to a part where the uh, the the trolls, the trollers, have been um, led into a trap. They're getting split up. Some of them are getting killed in this kind of underground um, terror area. It gets very visceral, very bloody, very violent. Um, <laughs> and it leads to a part, and I shit you not when I say this, where there's a trap door which Jeremy falls through, Jeremy and Tanya, who are like the only ones left, um, and they fall on what they initially think is kind of like a, a big trampoline. It's not. It's a giant spider's web. And a giant spider appears, bites into Tanya's head while wrapping her up in a, in a, in a web. This sends Jeremy insane. This is kind of the last point we really see him until the very end. And then when the cops are breaking through, because we find out that Shiner, this girl who's quite a sweet girl who likes Jeremy, she's trying to coax him back to the good side, even though he's just he is just driven by his dick. He just basically wants to have sex with Tanya so bad that he will follow her into into oblivion because she's quite manipulative, but he's just an idiot. Um her sister is is Joan, one of the police uh, policemen, and they come in to try and save the day, which then leads to jasper the king of the oddities riding this enormous spider to try and attack and eat them it is crazy and you know what i i really did enjoy this this um i don't know why there haven't been any film adaptations to my knowledge of of layman's work i want to read more layman i think i think i want to read I don't know what's called like vampire circus or there's something circus i always find that quite interesting i've said on the show before when I saw the title, I thought, oh, that's kind of an idea that I had for a book, but he's probably done it a lot better than me. Um, I want to read more of his stuff, but as uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up. I'll give the thumbs up so uh, so guys in the chat can unmute, but there we go. There we go. If you're watching live, spoiler, part of the show has ended. But Funland, yeah, I, I did really enjoy it. The story is batshit crazy, but it has a nice conclusion to it um characters fall in love very very quickly but all in all i think it's a good good read if you like a good uh paperback slasher with some decent characters there's not really any bad characters um i certainly think that robin uh robin and joan and dave and i guess they're, they're meant to be the protagonists, but i think they are the best characters in it but cowboy he's a lot of fun as well it's quite cool um and tanya's quite a good uh i won't go into the details but she's quite a good character in it as well um bruce todd actually bought funland because of this show well thanks thanks bruce and i think you can uh thank um fran the cannon for that um i'd not heard of uh the book or the author until until he mentioned it so that's been a lot of fun now for the next um ministry of horror book club we are going to be looking at steve 
Stephen Schlopsky, I might have pronounced that wrong, his book, Imaginary Friend. Now, just to uh, put it out there, I am listening to the audiobook of it currently. I think that still counts, um, just because I, I wanted to read it and I saw that it was quite a big book and I had an audible credit and I thought, it's 24 hours long or 28 hours long, screw it. I've got a lot of driving to do uh, with my, my office trips to work. So... Um, yeah, that's the book that we are going to be doing next. Uh, I did aim for the second Tuesday of the month, I thought, initially. Um, just keep watching the show. I will let you know when uh, the MOH Book Club uh, segment is going to be returning. Generally, going to aim for like a month, but it may be six weeks or so. Um, but yeah, there is uh, Imaginary Friend. Now, Stephen Schlopsky, the only other work I'm aware of that he did, and I only saw the film adaptation, was Perks of Being a Wallflower. Completely non-related to horror, but it is a great I don't know about the book, I've not read it, but it's a great film, really good, really quite shocking in places. Um, again, not horror at all. So to hear that he'd done a horror book, or horror-themed book, I was quite interested in. Um, I've done a few hours of it so far, there's not really been too much horror, but some creepy elements creeping in. So yeah, keep an eye peeled, we will be getting onto that uh, in the near future, in, in five, six weeks or so. Now, if you've been sticking around for the show, that may be for what we are going to be discussing next. And that is our featured presentation. And that is John Carpenter's the thing we're coming up to the 40th anniversary of the thing now we're not going to be doing an extensive uh look at the entire history of the thing of the franchise if for want of a better term i mean i don't really feel that the thing is a franchise i feel for me it's 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 the film the thing anything that came before it is its own thing anything that came after it i've either not engaged with enough or didn't really like um, but we'll, we'll we'll touch on them. We'll touch on them. Um, so the thing, John Carpenter. My goodness, this is an adaptation of uh, a novella. I've I've not read the novella. I will try and uh, seek it out at some point as a as a completionist. We'll will attempt to do. Uh, but that is Who Goes There, which was written by American author John W. Campbell Jr. under his pen name Don A. Stewart. This was back in 1938 um it's i mean i'm not going to go through the entire plot i haven't really read much about the plot but it's got um a number of characters such as blair um gary who who transposed into the and mccready into the uh the later film the main discussion of uh the main topic of discussion but uh i i believe from hearing that uh, John Carpenter's The Thing was a fairly faithful, if not horror-ramped-up, uh, adaptation of this. Uh, like I say, it came out in 1938. It was originally um, published in a magazine. Uh, let's just see where that was. Uh, da, 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 da. It was first published in August of 1938 in uh, an issue of Astounding Science Fiction. It was also printed as The Thing from Another World. Its extended novel version, found in an early manuscript titled Frozen Hell was finally published in 2019 interesting so i will be seeking that out um now as mentioned this has been adapted initially first before the thing 
1951 as The Thing from Another World. It's a black and white science fiction horror directed by Christian Nyby, uh, produced by Edward Lasky for Howard Hawke's Winchester Pictures Corporation, and it's released by RK- RKO Pictures. I will just confirm now that's not Randall Keith Orton Pictures. The film stars Margaret Sheridan, Kenneth Toby, Robert Cornthwaite, and Douglas Spencer. James Arnus plays The Thing. He's difficult to recognise in costume and makeup due to both low lighting and other effects to obscure his features. Uh, now, this is more about a US Air Force crew um, who discover in, a froze, in the frozen Arctic ice a crashed flying saucer and a humanoid body nearby. Returning to their remote research outpost with the body still in a block of ice, they're forced to defend themselves against this still alive and malevolent plant-based alien who was accidentally defrosted. For a 1951 black and white sci-fi horror, the thing from another world is definitely worth a watch. Some people don't like black and white films. That's fine. Some people don't like films from the 80s. They think they look old. Whatever. Everyone has their own has their own kind of views. But for me, I, I went into watching The Thing from Another World with no no real expectations. I'd seen The Thing. I loved The Thing. But I wanted to kind of see what came before it. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. I mean, we don't have, you know, they don't have the effects for a transforming, you know, taking people's place alien. It is like a, I guess, it's just one man is this this alien. But it very much reminded me of things like, um, I think it's Invaders from Mars, the original, not the god-awful remake. Um, and those those kind of films where they've just got that pulpy, um, pulpy unnervingness to them uh it, it's it, it's great it's uh it's a little bit different to the original story but again then maybe they're hampered by what they could do at the time that issue would not befall john carpenter in 1982 um when he directed from a screenplay by bill lancaster the thing um this was produced by david foster and lawrence terman starring kurt russell and keith david Dean Cundy did the cinematography, and the music was done by Carpenter, but primarily um, famous, famous spaghetti western um, music, uh, music, music composer, can't speak words, um, Ennio Morricone. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Distributed by Universal Pictures, this came out June 25th, so we're about a month away, um, in 1982. Uh, it had a budget of $15 million, and in the US North American box office... Uh, made 19.6 million so we mentioned a bit earlier on about uh its its release and what kind of affected that um but it's so it's another one of those 80s films you know that it found its audience in home media when people would watch it because they're a fan of john carpenter because they've heard you know that this is a pretty damn scary film um and at the time it got kind of negative reviews described as uh instant junk a wretched excess and proposed as the most hated film of all time by uh, film magazine cine fantastique i'm guessing they're not horror fans um but uh it, it received praise for its visual special effects and the achievements creating them but it was criticized for the repulsiveness of the visuals so i think this was one of those films that was maybe ahead of its time for mainstream uh, mainstream audiences um its effects were are like a high level of um of of horror effects which but you know like films which may have been looked at as a kind of more lower brow but this was done in such a kind of stylized effect that 
you had to be in awe at the same time as being repulsed. Um, you know, there's the the scene where the dogs have been infected, or the one dog's been infected and it's attacking and infecting the others. The hands being bitten off when giving CPR, the, the head, as we see on screen, um, or we saw on screen earlier, detaching, falling off, growing antennas and, and legs. It was just... This was just such a formative film for my kind of horror fandom as a kid catching this on TV. Uh, John Carpenter, I mean, what was it just Halloween and Halloween 2 that he'd done before this? Let me bring up his filmography. Oh, no, so he'd uh, he'd followed her Halloween with uh, Someone's Watching Me, which I've not seen, um, Elvis, which I've not seen, The Fog, which is incredible, Escape from New York and The Thing. I mean, Christ, what a, what a hell of a run. Um, I'll ignore someone's watching me and Elvis just because I haven't seen them, but Salt and Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine. Is there a better run? And if we just look at The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, and Christine, is there a better run from a director? I mean, Starman I've not seen, to be fair. Big Trouble in Little China is, is just incredible fun. Prince of Darkness, I think, is really underrated. I thought that was great. They Live is one of his best it's it's up there i don't think i've seen memoirs of invisible man um in the mouth of madness i love village of the damned is fine escape from la i thought was kind of fun but i just the effects are quite terrible now and i love vampires i think vampires is dumb fun and ghost of mars is all right the ward i will say I need to maybe rewatch it, but the ward was not for me. It just—I don't know. I didn't—I—I I didn't really like the ward, to be honest. Um, before we get back onto the thing, just have a quick look at the chat. Um, so Baby Ice said um, in '82, people wanted cuddly ET, not the thing. Yeah, that's kind of why it, it, it bombed a bit at the box office, was because. You have one alien film coming out, Steven Spielberg's E.T., everyone loves it. And then you have this other thing where it is just violent and invasive, parasitic, and people weren't ready for it. Um, the gruff, the things, uh, those poor dogs in the kennels being digested, um, so are scared as they chew at the fence to escape. Yeah, that was, that was a really quite upsetting scene as a, as a dog person. I mean, I guess as anyone who's emphatic or has empathy, I should say. Uh, it's really quite hard to watch that scene um, and it's still the, the effects are still incredible i think to this day uh, when it changes and it looks like a freaky dog monster and giant arms stretching to the roof uh the graph says my girlfriend said i like it very good but some of the creature designs are messed up yeah it's 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 so inventive it's so inventive what they're able to achieve is a masterpiece is is a, a huge achievement i should say uh the dog monster effects practical effects are gold bruce todd says um, Baby Ice, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York. Escape from New York is his fave Carpenter film. Um, all classics, The Graph says. Uh, In the Mouth of Madness, Bruce Todd says is underrated. 100% agree. It was one of the earlier ones I think I may have seen In the Mouth of Madness before any other non-Halloween related John Carpenter films because Channel 4 in the UK used to show it all the time. It's not really available properly. I don't think there's I think there might now have been a Blu-ray release, but for the longest time, there wasn't a decent DVD or Blu-ray scan in the UK. Uh, the Gruff, I Love They Live and Big Trouble is one of the most fun films. Fran the Can, I Love Big Trouble in Little China. Baby Eyes, Escape from LA was a letdown. Lol, Snake isn't supposed to surf yet. Baby Eyes, to be honest. <clears throat> I've watched um, Escape from LA 
recently, and it it is quite fun in places. I mean, it is basically a a kind of a, a remake of Escape from New York. Um, Bruce Campbell. Is it Bruce Campbell or Steve Buscemi? No, I think they're both in it. Bruce Campbell is this uh, plastic surgeon I thought was really cool. It was really over the top and fun. But yeah, the surfing scene is terrible. Just any CGI moment in Escape from LA is, is quite poor, to be honest. Um, and then just the, the rest of the bits in the chat. Uh, Bruce Todd, I bought Ma um, In the Mouth on VHS. Uh, the Gruff, I watched In the Mouth of Madness a few weeks ago. Really enjoyed it. Some good effects and designs. Yeah, In the Mouth of Madness. So we'll we'll talk about this in a moment. But the thing, in later years, became part of a uh, a trilogy. Uh, now I'm not talking about the thing and the thing, the the more recent prequel, the same same name, which is just stupid. But John Carpenter had an apocalypse trilogy. In the course of his career, he's had three films that have had particular. You could look at it as downer, but I suppose the correct term is nihilistic and hopeless uh, endings. The Thing has a fairly ambiguous ending. Um, t to me, I think, I'm sure from memory, you can't see Child's breath when they're both talking and breathing in, in, the, in the cold at the very finale. I can't remember exactly, but I always got the impression, or I always hoped, you know, as a big MacReady fan, that MacReady stayed human. And I got the impression, because Child's had been away for a big section of the finale, that he'd been infected. But either way... They're going to freeze to death out there, so you don't have a happy getting away ending. The bad, the bad, evil things destroyed, and the heroes got home. We then have um, Prince of Darkness. Is it Prince of Darkness part of his trilogy? Yeah, I'm sure Prince of Darkness is part of the trilogy. I just had a brain fart there. Where they're basically they're they're combating to stop from bringing into their world. It's not even Lucifer; it's the anti god. And one of the main characters, in trying to keep this evil out, uh, gets pulled into into their realm through a mirror. Um, she doesn't get out. She's stuck there. God knows what is going on there. Um, and then in the mouth of madness, the world goes to hell at the end of it. Our main character finds out that he is essentially himself a character in this uh, prophetic Stephen King up to the nth degree author who's bringing H.P. Lovecraft-type beings into the world through his writing, uh, which brings the end of the world. So this is actually part of a trilogy, but they're only connected, really, in the, the nihilistic elements of their endings. Um, let's also look... So we've, we've mentioned about its reviews, its praise for its special effects. Uh, it grossed £19.6 during its theatrical run. Many reasons have been cited for its failure to impress audiences, as we mentioned, competition with such films as E.T., uh, which offered an op um, optimistic take on Alien Visitation, a summer that had been filled with successful science fiction and fantasy films, and an audience living through a recession diametrically opposed to the thing's nihilistic tone. There's a lot going against it. I mean, if, you've got, if you're releasing a film during a time where people want escapism, they want optimism, this isn't the film for that. You know, from primarily from uh, from the the ending, <laughs> Bruce Todd. Do you read Sutter Kane? Uh, I have to say that with the weird eyes. Um, and baby eyes. Yeah, no no breath from childs. So that's kind of what I thought. Um, uh, the gruff. What's the guy's name that you don't see killed? I always wonder what happens to him. Uh, which uh, which one are you talking about? The gruff. 
it's quite a few characters. I'm trying to remember who you don't see get killed. So we've got McCready, uh, we've got Blair, um, we've got uh, Knowles, the cook, Palmer, the assistant mechanic, Childs, who we mentioned is at the end, uh, Dr. Cooper, Norris, uh, George Bennings, the meteor meteorologist, Clark, the dog handler, Gary, the station commander, Booches, the assistant uh, biologist, and Windows, the radio operator. Uh, Niles just Googled it. Uh, do we not see him die? Uh, let me have a little look on the synopsis. Uh, to be honest, I can't. I never remember their names when I'm watching it. Um, okay, Niles. Da, 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 da. He, Windows, and Niles find Funch's burnt corpse. Well, um, Windows returns to the base on McCready and Niles investigate McCready's shack. During their return, Niles abandons McCready in Snowstorm, believing he has been. Uh, assimilated after finding his torn clothes and shack. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so the thing intends to return to hibernation until the rescue team arrives. McCready, Gary, and Knowles determine the thing cannot be allowed to escape and set explosives to destroy the station. The Blair thing kills Gary, and Knowles disappears. Oh. Blair thing transforms into an enormous creature and breaks the detonator, but McCready triggers the explosion and a stick of dynamite destroying the station. So is Gary the one who gets the hand through the mouth? Because I always remember that being quite a creepy scene. Um. Did we see him die? The one who roller skates. Um, I'm sure he's the one that gets the hand in the mouth. But no, actually, that might that that's probably Gary then. That's Gary. Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. Um, ah, Paul Barrow. W weird but excellent question, I will say. Has anyone played the excellent board game? No, I did see uh, an image for the Kickstarter. I don't know how old it was and when the Kickstarter was. But I would love to play the board game. To be honest, I'd love to play board games in general, but a lot of my friends are just like, oh, it's just can't be arsed, let's drink. Which is fair enough. Um, <laughs> but no, I I'd love to play the board game um, for uh, the thing. I'd also love to play the board game for Dark Souls because I might actually be able to play it instead of the video game, which just kicks my ass. Um, so yeah, we, so we, we've, well, we've confirmed. We never see what happens to Niles. Um I mean, this is just let's let's look at the development of this so it began in the 70s when david foster and fellow producer lawrence terman suggested to universal pictures an adaptation of who goes there um obviously in 1951 had been loosely adapted into the thing from another world but they wanted to develop a project that stuck more close to the source material uh screenwriters hal barwood and matthew robbins uh, held the rights to make an adaptation but passed on the opportunity to make a new film so universal obtained the rights from them uh, Wilbur Stark in 76 um, had purchased the remake rights to the 23 RKO picture films which included The Thing from Another World um, and uh, they bought them from three Wall Street financiers who did not know what to do with them in exchange for a return when the films were produced Universal in turn acquired the rights to remake the film from Stark resulting in him being given an executive producer credit on all print advertisements, posters, television commercials and studio print material John Carpenter was first approached about the project in 76 by co-producer and friend Stuart Cohen. But Carpenter was mainly an independent film director, so Universal chose Toby Hooper of Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame as they already had him under contract. The producers were ultimately unhappy with Hooper and his writing partner, Kim Henkel's concept. Kim Henkel's of directing and writing Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation fame. Also, the original text Chainsaw Massacre. Um, after several more failed pitches by different writers and attempts to bring on other directors, such as John Landis, the project was put on hold. 
Even so, the success of Ridley Scott's 79 science fiction horror film Alien helped revitalise the product, at which point Carpenter became loosely attached following the success of his influential slasher film Halloween. So I didn't know Toby Hooper was involved uh, was going to be involved at one point. What kind of version of the thing do you think we'd have got? Um, I've kind of said before on uh, on uh, the, the, the show that whilst I love the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we did a show with uh, Reanimate Her a few, uh, few weeks back. We looked at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. While I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I really can't think of another Toby Hooper film um, that kind of hit the same mark. I, fe- I felt to the same degree the same thing kind of with George A. Martin. Not George A. Martin, what was I talking about? George A. Romero. <laughs> it's because we talked Game of Thrones like an hour ago. Um, where their initial project or their initial franchise with George A. Romero... I loved, but I couldn't really pick anything outside of that that did it for me. So with Toby Hooper, I know obviously he was involved in Poltergeist, but there's different things. It, it feels more like a Spielberg film, to be honest. Um, but yeah, what kind of version of the thing do you think we'd have got with uh, with Toby Hooper? Uh, Carpenter was reluctant to join the project, for he thought that Hawke's adaptation would be difficult to surpass, although he considered the film's monster to be um, unnotable. Cohn suggested that he read the original novella. Carpenter found the creepiness of the imitations conducted by the creature and the questions it's raised interesting. He drew parallels between the novel and Agatha Christie's mystery novel, and then there were none, and noted that the story of Who Goes There was timely for him, meaning he could make it true to his day as Hawks had in his time. Carpenter, a fan of Hawks' adaptation, paid homage to it in Halloween, and he watched The Thing from Another World several times for inspiration before filming began. Carpenter and cinematographer Dean Cundy first worked together on Halloween, and The Thing was their first big-budget project for a major film studio. Uh, yeah, I mean, I completely forgot that we had um, The Thing from Another World in Halloween. Um, Texas was the... So just looking at the chat, um, podcast listeners. Texas was the high uh, the high tide. Nothing uh, reached it for Toby Hooper. Um, Baby Ice, full disclosure, I also love Texas Chainsaw 2, Dennis Hopper Rules. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw 2. Um I think I think because when I first saw it, it was so different to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it took me a while to to like it. And I do like it, but for me it's just it's it's still just on a different a different level to uh to the original. But yeah, I mean Dennis Hopper in anything's great cuz he's just crazy. Um what else we got in the chat? So Paul Barrow also said there are three games um based on who goes there there's the thing infection at outpost 31 um and one about to come out just called the thing all seem excellent um are those all board games because we will get on to uh briefly talking about uh, the thing the video game a little bit later on um yes there have been comic continuations but from what i gather they were just they were just kind of kicking a dead horse for want of a better term by having mccready turn up in somewhere else and then the thing parasite turns up there that always just seems odd to me when there's expanded universes and different mediums and it's main character goes here, killing entity goes here as well. I think it might make a bit more sense if it's like a serial killer or something, vendetta, whatever, when it's a parasitic organism from an alien planet and he just he happens to keep getting involved. I don't know. I've not read them, to be fair, so I may be being a bit uh, uh, a bit uh, dismissive, but the the concept just never really interests me. Like, um, oh, they're now in this. Oh, they're now in Hawaii. Oh, they're now in um, 
Detroit. I don't know. Um, so, duh, 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 duh. so Universal initially set a budget of ten million with two hundred grand for creature effects, which at the time was more than the studio had ever allocated to a monster film. Filming schedule would be completed within ninety-eight days. Universal's production studios um, estimated that it would require at least seventeen million before marketing and other costs, as the plan involved more set construction, including external sets and a large set piece for the original scripted death of Bennings which was estimated to cost $1.5 million alone. Storyboarding designs um, were finalised. The crew estimated they would need at least $750,000 for creature effects, a figure Universal executives agreed to after seeing the number of workers employed under Rob Bottin, the special makeup effects designer. Larry Franco was responsible for making the budget work for the film. He cut the filming schedule by a third, eliminated the exterior sets for on-site shooting, and removed Benning's more extravagant death scene. Cohen suggested reusing the destroyed American camp as the ruined Norwegian camp, saving a further 250 grand. When filming began in August, the thing had a budget of 11.4 million and indirect costs brought to it it to 14 million the effects budget ran over costing total of 1.5 million um forcing the elimination of some scenes including Knoll's confrontation of a creature dubbed the box thing there we go Knoll's may have uh, may have had a final scene um by the end of production carpenter had to make a personal appeal to executive ned T Tannen for a hundred grand to complete a simplified version of the Blair thing. The final cost was twelve point four million, and overhead costs brought it to fifteen million dollars. So I knew that with the finale of the thing, which I still thought was excellent, we were going to be seeing a lot more of the, the final Blair thing. We only really get a glimpse of it when it bursts through the floor. Um, but I knew that with uh, I was aware that with production running over budget they had to cut corners and one of them was with the blair thing but um yeah we could have seen the box thing and the, the box thing sounds interesting i don't know what that would have quite looked like but that would have been noel's confrontation so could that have been that i don't know i don't know how they they don't think there's any deleted scenes so did they just have noel's just disappearing or did they kind of overlook it when coming to the final shooting uh for the film uh not sure but uh, yeah, Bruce Todd in the chat says, uh, glad they agreed the budget, it was worth it. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine what the film would have looked like if they'd had to stick to 200 grand? I mean, I don't know how much, you know, practicality things cost, but I'd imagine that would also include the, the staff costs and stuff. Um, hey, Crimson Mel in the chat. Hey, all mate to the freaking party. Better late than never, Mel. That's the main thing. Better late than never. We're just talking. We're just talking about the main, the main attraction, which is uh, the thing on its fortieth. Can't speak. Fortieth anniversary. Um, so yeah, Noel's um, his uh, his finale has kind of been sold. What we're gonna be getting. Um, the gruff's been waiting thirty years for that. Well, I'm glad that we were able to we were able to get some some form of resolution on that. Um, but the thing is, this is a film. That's now like 40 years old. If you watch it now, and uh, I've got a couple of versions of it. I'm not like a proper, proper, proper collector, but I did go through a, a little bit of a 4K John Carpenter hunt when they started releasing them. They, they initially released a nice box. They, they had four titles, but they only released box sets for three, which I always thought was weird. They Live, lovely 4K box set. Um, uh, Escape from New York, lovely 4K box set. The Fog lovely 4k box set 
And also a 4K render, but on Blu-ray of Prince of Darkness. Which is great, but I always thought, if you're releasing this at the same time as the other three, I mean, I know it's not as big a film as the other three, but give me a nice box set. Come on. Go on, whatever the releasing company was. But about a year or so later, they released uh, The Thing. Oh, God, there's the camera. A nice 4K Ultra HD uh, copy of it. It's a bit low on uh, on the special features side, but to be honest, I mean, even when I get these special features, these special editions, I hardly ever watch the special features. But there's a feature commentary with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Um, there's the John Carpenter um, documentary, The Thing, Terror Take Shape, outtakes and a trailer. So that, that's all you're getting, but the commentary, and I think it's been reused, I think it was recorded in 1998, maybe? 99, possibly? The commentary is incredible. It is a filmmaking lesson from John Carpenter with uh, with Kurt Russell adding some some insight as well. But it is incredible. Um, I would highly rate. I'd highly advise if you haven't got a copy of the thing, buy one. And if you have but you haven't listened to the audio commentary, even if an audio commentary isn't your thing, it's so insightful. It really is. It really is great. Um, so let's let's have a little look at the casting. So we know Kurt Russell. He was involved in the production before being cast. He was helping Carpenter develop ideas. Uh, but he was actually the last actor to be cast um, in June 81, by which point filming the second unit had been started in uh, Juneau, Alaska. Carpenter had worked with Russell twice before, but wanted to keep his options open. Uh, discussions with the studio included using Christopher Walken, Jeff Bridges, or Nick Nolte, but either were unavailable or declined. And Sam Shepard, who showed interest but was never pursued, Tom Atkins uh, and Jack Thompson were strong early and late contenders for the role of McCready, but the decision was made to go with Russell. In part, Carpenter cited the practicality of choosing someone he had found reliable before and who would not balk at the difficult filming conditions. It took Russell about a year to grow his hair and beard out for the role. I mean, that's commitment. And he looked badass in it. Um, at various points, the producers met with Brian Dennehy, uh, we've talked briefly before about uh, John Wayne Gacy, and Brian Dennehy was in a, a TV mini-film, or TV miniseries, TV made-for-TV made film, about uh, John Wayne Gacy. It was just creepy as hell, isn't it? Um, but producers had met with Brian Dennehy, Chris Christopherson, John Hurd, Ed Harris, Tom Berenger, Jack Thompson, Scott Glenn, the recently deceased Fred Ward, uh, and Peter Coyote, Tim, Tom Atkins, and Tim McIntyre. Some passed on the idea of starring in a monster film, while Dennehy became the choice to play Copper. Each actor was pay was to be paid fifty k, but after the more established Russell was cast, his salary increased to four hundred grand. Um, I mean, there's talk about all the other the other castings, but really, that's Kurt uh, Russell is his uh, his our star of the film, and his performance in the film is is just incredible. I think for me, as um. I mean, we could go on for ages about this, but to be honest, I haven't had dinner. I'm still I'm incredibly hungry. It's been a long day. I got up at six. My dog woke me up at four with barking, the little little bastard. Um, but that just gives you an idea of who we could have had as McCready. Now, I think the film has been perfectly cast. I don't think I have ever sat through the film and thought, this is really good, except this guy's a bit crap or this this actor's a little bit wooden. Everyone pays their part to perfection. Um, but it is interesting to kind of see, um, and yeah, I agree, 
Um, the gruff Keith David is awesome in everything. Um, and Bruce Todd, well, I mean, Walken, <laughs> Walken is, is, is awesome. He's just, he's just a treasure. I'm, t- I'm actually quite interested now to watch uh, June part two because Christopher Walken's in it. I really found the first June, eh, just not for me, but Christopher Walken's in it. I'm interested. Um, but it is interesting to kind of see what we could have had. I mean, Jeff Bridges, um, Nick Nolte, Brian Dennehy, Chris Christopherson. I mean, I don't think any of them, they're all great actors, Fred Ward, Peter um, Coyote, Glenn, Scott Glenn. But I don't think any of them would have had uh, the Kurt Russell energy, intensity. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're all very different. Uh, in regards to Charles, actually, before we move on, Jeffrey Holder, Carl Weathers, and Bernie Casey were considered for the role of Charles. And Carpenter also looked at Isaac Hayes, having worked with him in Escape from New York. Ernie Hudson was a frontrunner and was almost cast until they met Keith David. The thing was David's first significant film role, and coming from a theatre background, he had to learn on set how to hold himself back and not show every emotion his character was feeling, with guidance from Richard Masseur and Donald Moffat in particular. Um, oh my god, I mean, I'll just continue on because I've noticed another particular name in here um da, 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 da. for blair team chose the then unknown wilfred brimley as they wanted an everyman whose absence would not be questioned by the audience until the appropriate time the intent of the character was to have him become infected early in the film but off screen so that the status would be unknown to the audience concealing his intentions carpenter wanted to cast cast donald pleasance but it was decided that he was too recognisable to accommodate the role. T.K. Carter was cast as Knowles, but comedian Franklin A.J. also came in to read for the role. Instead, he delivered a lengthy speech about the character being a stereotype, after which the meeting ended. I don't know who Franklin um, A.J. AJ is. Um, stand-up comedian, actor and writer. The jazz comedian, I, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, Donald, Donald Pleasance. We could have had Donald Pleasance in the thing. Um, Ernie Hudson, yeah, I agree. Ernie Hudson could could have done the role, but I mean, Keith David, I just, I, uh, Keith David is just brilliant. Everything is in, isn't he? Um, Dick Miller, Bruce Todd says, uh, would have been a groovy choice too. Uh, I mean, there's there's lots of great options here. I mean, when they're talking about um, about the role of Palmer, uh, Jay Leno, Gary Shandling, and Charles Fleischer, among others, um, were were looked at by Universal. Um, but they opted to go with actor Donald David Clennon, who was better suited to play the dramatic elements. Clennon had read for the Bennings character, but he preferred the option of playing Palmer's blue-collar stoner to a white-collar science man. Powers Booth, Lee Van Cleef, um, Jerry Orbach, and Kevin Conway were considered for the role of Gary, and Richard Mulligan was also considered when the production experimented with the, with the idea of making the character closer to MacReady in age. Uh, Mesa also read for Gary, but he asked instead to play Clark, as he liked the character's dialogue and was also a fan of dogs. Um, I mean, Christ, it's it's quite interesting to see the potentials that we could have had for some of these uh, for some of these roles. But there's a lot more to kind of go through here. I mean, we can't really move on from uh, from the thing and you know, me talking about its impact on me without talking about the music. Now, John Carpenter was uh well i say was he still is um recently i watched uh again spoilers for studio 666 so this is a minor thing john carpenter and his uh his son and 
their colleague, I can't remember his name, did the theme, the opening theme for Studio 666, and he plays a music producer in it, which I think is really cool. But I only mentioned that because I was, almost said he was. But John Carpenter had been known for doing his iconic themes in his films. You know, Halloween goes without saying. Um, Christine, I mean, Christ, um, Escape from New York, and pretty much all of them. But for The Thing, um, Ennio Morricone composed the scores. Carpenter wanted The Thing to have a European music, musical approach. He flew to Rome to speak with Morricone to convince him to take the job. By the time um, Morricone flew to Los Angeles to record the score, he had already developed a tape filled with an array of synthesizer music because he was unsure of what type of score Carpenter wanted. Um, Morricone wrote complete separate orchestral and synthesizer scores and a combined score, which he knew was Carpenter's preference. Carpenter picked a piece closely resembling his own scores that became the main theme used throughout the film. So it's got quite a continuous kind of low droning sound. Um, it's just, uh, just I mean, the, the opening to the film with that just white snowscape and the helicopter coming after the dog from the the, the Norwegian um, camp. Just just brilliant, just brilliant. Um, we've talked about the creature design. I mean, just so many key moments in this. The dog that's been assimilated by the thing and is attacking the other dogs. The chest opening up and biting off uh, the actor's... Uh, the actor's hands, the Norris thing, whose head then falls off, grows legs, grows antennas. Um, even I can't remember the guy's name. The uh, the ginger bowling guy who's outside and is being turned into the thing, and his hands are all extending out, and they set him on fire. The paranoia in the film. I mean, really, I could gush about this uh, ad nauseum. But as we mentioned, it became a cult classic. It wasn't at the time revered as much as it is now. It was looked at as grotesque. Um, it's a big studio film that's got quite gory effects. Um, you know, Universal putting this out was probably a bit unknown at the time. I mean, they've done monster movies, of course, but this, is, this isn't your typical monster film. You don't have a Frankenstein's monster running around or a Dracula or the you know, Creature from the Blue Lagoon. This is an alien entity that can change its appearance, can mimic people. So when you're in a small, isolated group, you don't know who's who. You don't know who is uh, still themselves or who has been turned into an alien. But this found its its audience much, much, much later. Uh, but it has spawned a variety of uh, into a variety of mediums. We've mentioned in the chat um, there's been the graphic novel series, board games, as Barracles has mentioned. There was an, a novelization of the film back in '82. There's been uh, the sequels in the in the video games. In, sorry, in the comic books and then there's been a video game sequel which for the life of me i can't get a copy copy of on steam so i don't know how i'm ever going to play it um i imagine there's ways but i'm not that technical i don't have that much technical know-how but in 2002 uh, there was a third person survival horror video game based on the thing by uh computer artworks co-published by universal interactive under their Black Label Games um, and Konami, released on Windows, Xbox, PS2, GameCube, and Game Boy. Um, oh, it was, sorry, it was released on Windows, Xbox, and PS2. The Game Boy and GameCube versions uh, were announced, but scrapped. It's a sequel to the 82 film. The story focuses on Captain Blake, a member of the US Special Forces team, sent to the Antarctic Outpost, featured in the film to determine what has happened to the researched film. The game was endorsed by Carpenter, who has a cameo appearance in the game. It was a commercial success, sold over a million copies worldwide on all platforms, received positive reviews. 
There was a sequel planned. It was in the early stages of development, but it was cancelled when Computer Artworks went into a receivership in 2003. Um, it, yeah, I, I remember playing this at the time, and I don't think I gave it a good enough crack because I'd read up about... I was a, a fan of the thing. I was still quite young when this came out. I was probably maybe 12, 13, I think. can't remember. Um and when I was playing the game, I guess I didn't really get give the mechanics quite a, as a good a chance as they should have got. But it had this paranoia system where depending on how other characters in your team trusted you, that would unlock what options you had available. If they didn't trust you, they're not going to give you a weapon. But if you gave them a weapon, it would gain their trust. Things like that. Um, and I think I went into it thinking, well, this sounds like it's going to be incredible and you're going to do all this stuff. But there's limitations. I mean, this did come out at the time of the, the PS2. Games are getting better than they have been on PS1 in terms of what they could do, but it's still not quite where we are at today. So I very much do want to go back and try and give this game a go. It's I can't find it on Steam, and I'm that dumb. I don't know what other options I would have to try and play it. If people know how I could play it in the chat, let me know. Um... Uh, oh, Fran the Cannon. Morricone also scored Exorcist 2 The Heretic. Let's not talk about The Exorcist 2. Um, as Bruce Todd says, I rented the game from the video drive-in, thought it was meh. I know it's got good reviews and whatnot, but yeah, I, I only very briefly had it. I think I might have just rented it. But I didn't really give it too much of a shot. It didn't seem as polished, I guess, as I wanted it to be. And maybe it was a case of I had such high hopes because of the film. I thought it was going to be as immersive as the film. Um, and it just, it, I don't know. It's one of those things I need to kind of go back and uh, and uh, at some point give it another try. Uh, but that, that, that came out. Going to get a sequel to it. Didn't happen. We will briefly talk. I am sorry. <laughs> I am... Uh, I am sorry, Bruce Todd. We will briefly talk uh, about the prequel. Uh, Bericles in the chat says eBay is your best bet. A couple of PC copies on Amazon. I'm that dumb, though, Bericles. Would they necessarily work now? I know with some things, like PC-related games would work on on setups at the time, but maybe they just don't work these days. I don't know. I'm very dumb when it comes to PC gaming. Um, but if it's something... Um, uh, if it's something that will work, um, I, I will. I'll buy a copy on 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 Amazon. Uh, Baby Ice in the chat. You guys want to buy the disc? You guys still own PS2s? Oh, I don't have a PS2. Um, unfortunately, Baby Ice. Um, I do have an N64 somewhere, <laughs> but I don't have a PS2. Um, the Gruff says, I remember really being excited for the prequel when I heard about it. Getting to find out what happened to the other group of people and how they got it is something I wanted to know. Uh, may more than how Anakin became Vader. So, as we kind of briefly mentioned, in 2001, the much-hyped prequel to The Thing, also called The Thing, which I just, I, I, I mean, I think this was kind of an early, uh, trend, not trendsetter, but it was an early type of film to start doing this trend of releasing something in the same timeline, so it's not a prequel, not, sorry, not, it's not a remake, but something in the same timeline that has the same title. So, you know, with Halloween, we've got Halloween, Halloween, and then Halloween Kills in that timeline. For this timeline, we have The Thing, and then the prequel to it, The Thing. Just, I hate that. Call it, I don't know, call it The Thing, the, I don't know, The Norwegian Thing, I don't know. I can't think of on the top of my head a good prequel title, but calling it the same title as the, the film it's a prequel to, it's fucking stupid. 
Uh, excuse my French. Um, um, Brian McCann in the chat says, I don't rate the prequel as harshly as everyone else seems to. I would have changed the name, though. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Pericles has had Star Wars ruined for him. <laughs> um the thing arrival see straight away that's such that's a much better title than just calling it the thing you know to the thing um it's got a decent cast i mean i have mentioned before i don't really like joel edgerton um but mary elizabeth winstead um ulrich thompson um adewale akinoe um Ag Ag uh, agabaje again I'm, I'm awful at pronouncing names i do apologize uh, and eric christian olsen so the positives i will say the positives are we've got a generally decent story. Okay, the story itself is quite good. It's it it's kind of covering the same ground of the thing. The thing. <laughs> 82's the thing. But we get an idea. I mean, it is kind of covering the same thing because it's again finding the alien ship, but we 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 got to see what was hinted at in 82's the thing from 82. Um, I also like that the way that it ended leads straight into the thing. I think that was a nice touch. That's that's what I want from a, a prequel, I would say. I don't normally care for prequels, but um, that's kind of what I'm interested in, that it, it goes in the same um, direction. But the negatives. The negatives. There was zero tension. And there was zero paranoia for me. They tried at Paranoia, I think, in some moments, but it just, they wouldn't, for me, the scenes weren't left time to breathe. For the 82 thing, we we didn't know for long periods who was infected and who wasn't. We'd have ideas, there'd be red herrings, but generally it was, you were made to feel uneasy. You were made to feel the paranoia that the characters had, because you didn't know who was, who was infected. You had no, no real idea. In the thing 2011 we see the alien in the first like 10 or 15 minutes i'll get into what the alien looks like shortly we see people transforming within within minutes of there being a hint that someone's infected um i will go back to another positive and that is the scene where eric christian olsen's being attacked and being morphed i thought that was generally quite creepy because he's basically almost trapped with this horrible amorphous entity that looks like one of his colleagues partially and it starts just melding into him like that was kind of the blob type territory which i think baby ice talked about earlier on um that moment was great but we now need to talk about the creature so i mean there's, there's no paranoia in it really there's no tension the creature they did practical effects for this film and then overlaid it with cg and i think the cg looks terrible it's not, I say terrible, it's not as bad as really bad CG. Like, there's really bad CG, like the surfing scene in Escape from LA. But then there's this CG, which is just, just leave it, just leave it as practical effects. Like, I'm sure it looked, I'm sure it would look good. It would look better. But when you get, like, when you get CGI blood in a film, it just looks terrible. Why do it? I don't, I can't imagine it's that much of a cost effective measure to just not create it. Um, the finale of it's fine from memory, um, but it's oh, just looking on the the Wikipedia. There's a director's cut online campaign. Let's just have a quick read of this before we 
we round out the show. Uh, so in, in 2015, Aidan Kosky sta- uh, started a change.org petition to release the pilot version, which was promoted by Dread Central, even though the petition closed due to a lack of followers. In 2020, the following social media hashtags released the pilot version and released the studio a what release the studio adi cut was started in response to Zack snyder's justice league and the released behind the scenes footage from studio adi on youtube well bloody disgusting and nerdbot published articles and youtube videos calling it one of the most anticipated director's cuts in horror movies i didn't hate the thing prequel that much that i wouldn't watch a director's cut you know i'm always open to seeing another version i do think sometimes director's cuts can get a uh can get a halo put on them as being always the superior version it's not always the case um more often than not it is i mean the director's cut t2 is excellent although t2 itself is excellent aliens director's cut i mean aliens itself is great but aliens director's cut you've just got even more stuff and it's just all great um but sometimes you get director's cuts and it's like well i guess sometimes they do kind of need maybe a little bit of guidance maybe just things kind of just uh, streamlined i don't know but i haven't seen any of these youtube videos i haven't seen any of this behind the scenes footage or whatever of this director's cut Uh, i don't know any details about this director's cut i've literally just seen this now but guys would you be interested in a director's cut of the thing 2011 um for me it would just be an interesting interesting view to see what's different and if it's any better but i i've i've seen the thing 2011 when it came out a few years back i think i saw on tv again and i just i love the thing 1982 so much and this just it just it's an inferior prequel in my view if you loved it if you enjoyed it great but the things that i enjoyed about the 82 thing just weren't here and it's not a case of it being a different type of film. It's a case of, I think it was trying to emulate certain feelings, certain ideas, and just not not nailing them. Um, let's have a quick look at what's going on in the chat. So um, uh, Bruce Todd says, prequel should have been um, all Norwegian. Adding the English speakers ruined the um, immersion. Yeah, I get... I would have even been happy if they just had uh, Norwegian accents. I'd, I'd imagine with a big studio film, they're not going to put it in a foreign language um, with, you know, like American, English or Australian, whatever, actors. But knowing that it's Norwegian camp, just do the accent, I'd, you know, I'm sure it'd be fine. I, I think that that was maybe a little bit of a misstep, having them all be American accents doing a Norwegian camp. Um, the gruff, compared to the original, the effects looked awful um yeah agree um da, 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 da. the gruff says he would give it a watch for sure bruce todd says no crimson mail i could go either way uh baby ice says true romance director's cut is far superior the warriors director's cut is not now i do like the warriors i don't i never got into the hype train um the retrospective i should say hype train with warriors being incredible i always thought it was a a decent kind of uh gangland sort of not gangland but futuristic gangland sort of thriller type film but i never thought it was like fucking incredible um i'm not seeing the director's cut to be fair um is that where they've added in a lot of like dodgy cgi cartoon panel effects potentially um but not true romance is brilliant uh greatest director's cut of all time apocalypse now redux baby i says i've only ever seen redux 
Um, I only actually seen Apocalypse Now for the first time about a year ago. I picked up the really nice um, 4K Blu-ray box set with the kind of um, almost like neon-y looking image of uh, Sheen coming out of the um, coming out of the water with the mud on him. Uh, but I've only seen Redux. It's got like three different versions on it. Um, but I will I'll st- I'll stick with Redux if it is the best version. Uh, and yes, Baby Ice confirms in the chat the comic book splash effects. Yeah. To- Sometimes you get that, and I know George Lucas is probably a bit... He's, he's known for doing this, going back and tinkering, and sometimes for the worse, like when he's gone back to the old ones and added in certain CGI things. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I like the, the original trilogy, but I can imagine for those a bit more invested when a director goes back and overtly tinkers, uh, it's just not always for the best. Uh, that's really going to kind of round out our discussion on the thing. I would, I know that in America, I guess it may be select states, they are going to be doing a cinema uh, release of the thing, which, I mean, I haven't seen the thing in the cinema. If they do us any screenings over here in the UK or in the south of the UK, I will definitely go and watch it. Um, I think one of the great, one of the best things is getting to see these films that you love, that you've only seen on home media releases, you know, much later than its original release. But when they get these little special cinema screenings, just seeing these excellent films with the full surround sound on a huge screen, I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, So I would say go out there and watch it when you can. I believe it's next month. It's getting a limited uh, cinema screening. So that is us talking about one of my favourite John Carpenter horror films in general, The Thing. So let's talk now about uh, the rest of the week. So... As I mentioned at the start of the show, following the successful um, YouTube exclusive launch of the uh, Ministry of Slam on Sunday, Ministry of Horror is going to follow suit. We're going to be YouTube exclusive Tuesdays 8pm. I really hope anyone watching on Twitch uh, follows over to to the YouTube. Um, Be greatly appreciated. And if you do come along to the YouTube show, please give us a subscribe. Give the show a like. It really does help. It really does mean a lot. Um, and if you listen to this on uh, podcast feed, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, be sure to give us a five-star review. Um, it really does help. So the rest of the week, um, Lawrence will be doing some gaming on the MOS network. He'll be, uh, I believe, doing some Red Dead and some some Halo. But just be sure to check the, uh, the socials, like the MOS network, Facebook, Discord, uh, Twitter, You'll find the latest there. It'll all be on uh, the MOS Network on YouTube. Saturday, hopefully, I believe, uh, I will be continuing the journey of Dr. Feelgood on uh, on WWE um, uh, WWE 2K22 My Rise Career Mode. I may do some horror gaming in between. Like maybe we'll arrange uh, an Evil Dead game. Um, <clears throat> next week's going to be a bit easier for me because I've got... I'm off work next week, so this week's just been a bit manic. Um, Sunday will be uh, the Ministry of Slam with Lawrence, um, and I'll be on, I think, um, just because he asked me every week, so I've never definitively said 100% yes, but I will, um, if, if I'm asked, I will be on Ministry of Slam again on Sunday, 7pm, uh, only on the MOS Network. And next week's show, or before we go on to next week's show, let's just have a quick look at the chat. The Gruff, great show, Tez. Loved it. Now go get your food. Thank you for tonight. I will. Although it's a bit late. The problem is if I eat late, it's just not going to agree with me. Um, So maybe I will just have a light dinner, although I am tempted to just get a... I'm I'm working from home tomorrow, so I'm thinking I could just get a takeaway. 
Um, Baby Ice, imagine aliens on IMAX. Baby Ice, you're talking my language right now. I love aliens. It's up there along with um, The Thing and Halloween for favourites for me. Seeing that in an IMAX would blow my brain. Uh, Crimson Mel, I'll be there. I'll unsub just a sub for you. Oh, thanks, thanks, Mel. Thanks, Mel. Always appreciated. Um, and we do, I think we need to have a chat on Discord and uh, we definitely need to get another show um, another show booked for sure. Um, I really enjoyed our last chat. Uh, Bruce Todd, um, let us join as one. 100% love that. Love the positivity. Uh, the Gruff, I still haven't played Evil Dead, lol. I will try and join you. Yeah, keep an eye on the Discord. I will, when I'm going to, when I'm going to play it, I'll, uh, I'll when I'm thinking of playing with it, I'll chuck it in the chat because I know um, I've played with Bericles. Um, I uh, I know a couple of people have picked up the game, so we'll we'll see if we can organise something. It'd be good to get everyone uh, on board. And if you haven't already, join the Discord. Um, we've got a Ministry of Horror channel there. We talk all things horror. We have uh, some some good chats like Matt Wyatt, um, who I know listens to the podcast. Um, he's normally got some good insight as well. Um, and uh, the Turner Years from Bericles, that has come out on podcast feeds today. The latest episode of the Turner Years from Bericles with his co-host Dave. It's a bi-weekly podcast that looks at the transition from uh, the Turner Years into what became WCW. Very informative for wrestling fans and entertainment fans of pop culture. I don't know a lot about that period, so I found listening to the episodes really, really informative. So be sure to... Uh, subscribe on the podcast feeds and check out the Turner years with Bericles and Dave. Um, and then finally, uh, so King of um, um, Hueco Mundo, IMAX sounds like a fast car. Never actually been to an IMAX. Um, there isn't really one nearby. We used to have one in Bournemouth. I think that got closed very quickly. Um, so as a cinema fan, I would love to go to an IMAX. The closest I've been to an IMAX is uh, there's a chain called Cinema Deluxe. There's a big one in uh, in Southampton, which is a city about an hour away from me hour and a half uh but that's a really good screen every seat's a recliner it's lovely um bruce todd brought a copy of imaginary friends from amazon we'll fire into it when it arrives excellent excellent well i'll keep keep listening on the show in coming weeks um like i said i'm probably about 21 hours into it into the audio book so it'll probably be about five weeks then we'll do moh book club but just keep checking for that uh the gruff Good, uh, good endorsement there for the Turner years. Good stuff, Turner years. Very interesting old school wrestling. No problem, Bericles. No problem at all, mate. Um, and the Gruff, I'm going to see the new Jurassic World in 4DX in Ashford. I never tried it yet, so excited for it. Uh, so is 4DX where you have more sensory things like uh, water or smells or movement and stuff? Never been to one of those sort of cinemas, but when I went to Orlando, I did the Jurassic Park water ride, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm interested. I'm interested with Jurassic World. So um, let me know. Let us know in in uh, in the Discord uh, what you think of it and if you'd recommend it. Um, so that's pretty much it. Now, what I was going to finally discuss for next week, something we touched on in the news very briefly. This Friday, Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1 starts. I probably am going to try and binge it, but don't worry, I'm not going to do like a... I'm not going to do like a spoilery review, um, you know, like four days after it's come out. But next week's show, we are going to look at Stranger Things, kind of the, the pop culture phenomenon that's come, but generally look at the story from season one to season three. So it will be spoiler filled for the, the series, you know, one to three. We'll still have the same sort of show of news, reviews and such. But uh, yeah, we're going to be looking at Stranger Things. Hit me up in... Um, 
in the Twitter, Ministry underscore Horror, or my own Twitter, um, at Tezius. Chat to in, the, in the Discord. There's also the Facebook page, Ministry of Horror. Uh, let me know your thoughts on Stranger Things. Let me know your thoughts on The Thing. Oh, sorry, just not the microphone, podcast listeners. Uh, let me know what you thought about The Thing. Um, and uh, let's just generate good discussion. Um, also, yeah, we've got the Discord uh, comment coming up from the Streamlabs. Um, yeah, oh, what's what's uh, Baby I just said? Kenobi, Stranger Things, The Boys, Miss Marvel. Are you ready for the summer? I still need to get through The Boys Season 2. I'm very late to The Boys Season 2. I thought Season 1 was great. Season two, I didn't watch when it first came out because I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd heard mixed things, but I have watched a few episodes and it's it. I enjoy it more of more of the same. Um, Kenobi. I mean, I've not to the same degree. I'm more of a Marvel fan than I am a Star Wars fan, um, but I've not really watched any of the extended Star Wars universe. So Kenobi. Um, I will just kind of see what people say. Miss Marvel again. Marvel. I'm I'm in a bit of a fatigue. I'd need something kind of you know, Spider-Man No Way Home or Endgame to get me back in that hype train. Um, <laughs> King of um, Mundo, Leave It to Beaver was a trippy show. Never seen it, mate. Never seen it. Um, I'll check it out. But anyway, I, I really need to go get some food. I am starving. Um, thank you so much for watching uh, watching the show live. Like I say, it's going to be YouTube exclusive next week. Thank you for listening uh, on podcast feeds and whatnot. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Uh, hopefully see you in some of the gaming streams or on uh, the Ministry of Slam on Sunday. Catch you later. <laughs>